Welcome to the Big Stomp, the Bunkerzilla radio show that roars at the latest stories and discussions in geek culture today. So, what are we waiting for? Let's start stomping. Good evening, my little twitchlings. It is I, your rambling redhead for this evening's Host Rules Big Stomp. Joining me this evening are my very special victims guests uh we first we have raggedy man live from the genki genki super fortress say hi raggedy man hello greetings from the super fortress and we have just mark live from my living room say hi mark hi mark and also joining us from the depths of the bunkerzilla bunker is ian station controller good evening uh i have been given nominal control this evening so any weirdness is entirely my fault and i accept it all (laughs) and as i said i'm of course your rambling redhead so let's get weird starting this evening off with stories that make me go what is happening and we are starting with the poundland ouija boards yeah like just when you go to Poundland for your baked beans and your pasta, pick up a spirit board. Have you ever wanted to contact the spirit realm, but budget constraints meant you couldn't get the necessary equipment? Well, Poundland had you covered. The bargain retailer was selling Ouija boards for one pound, but they have since been taken off sale after backlash from ghost hunters. Uh, I believe one of them was Paranormal UK. And the reason this came to my attention was cosplay groups. They're like, no, I need this for my Sabrina cosplay, my Exorcist cosplay, and any other horror movie cosplay. And it sort of reminds me a bit of the Yanni sexy Handmaid's Tale costume in 2018. Does anyone remember that little fun? I, I, no, I, I don't. Do, but that was inappropriate. That, that's a completely different kettle of fish. I mean... Um, this is technically not, a religious artifact to some people. Not especially. Not technically. I mean, it's a spiritualist artifact. It's not religious. I, mean, I don't know. Are there any religions that do use the Ouija board? I mean, it sounds more voodoo than anything else. No, voodoo does not use the Ouija board. Okay. No, the oh. European. It's it, it's mostly a European mythology. There's some links to Chinese divination, but it's most of it's. European tradition. I mean, you used to be able to buy them from Parker Brothers, as in well, yeah. Monopoly. <laughs> it was patent. I mean, that's the, this this stuff was patented. The, the Ouija board was patented in 1891, I believe. And that is... I mean, there's some links to the Egyptian luck board. What? Well, I was going to say, looking at the story, because obviously we have, we have ghost hunters and people complaining about it in Poundland, but... I've just had a look on Amazon, and there are tons of Ouija boards there. Yeah. So you kind of think if you're going to have a massive battle against people sending Ouija boards, Poundland just seemed like a very seemed like a very like D-list uh, battle. To be honest, it's, it's <laughs> an odd hill to die on. But I mean, there's, I've got a quote here. Uh, Paul Masters, men, member of True Paranormal Events UK, said he was gobsmacked that such an item was on the shelves, claiming they can release deadly demons if not handled by trained mediums. 
I mean, growing up, well, the only place I saw Ouija boards was American teen movies where, you know, they would usually turn up at girls' sleepovers and end up with people getting stabbed. Uh, we're supposed to take these things seriously now? Um, well, the, the, that, whole, that all came from The Exorcist. Um, I'd like to say this guy's main problem should be the fact that there's a spirit board app available in, in the Amazon not the Amazon, sorry, in the uh, Google store. So that's, it's, it's rent a quote. This sounds like silly season. Yeah. So I, is, I just... it, is it that the, the devil is Android and God is Apple? That's why no, it's in the Google Play store. categorically not. <laughs> um, I mean, the guy, I could understand having seen one of these things out there, I can understand if it was a campaign campaign against shit Ouija boards, because for a quid you get what you pay for. This is true. Um, but beyond that, he says, shuffling himself around. Beyond that, I don't see what that. This is just rent to quote nonsense. I I think it was the fact that it was, you know, out on the high because you don't normally see Ouija boards out on the high street, like true. you know. So perhaps it was more the fact that. The concern might be that young impressionable minds might decide to try and raise the dead. Like I, as I say, I couldn't quite work out why people were so angry, but I just thought it was a. I mean, the pound land in in Cambridge is right next to the works, and the works normally has this kind of stuff a, a full during this kind of year. So, I mean, this this isn't the satanic panic anymore, where they were trying to blame Satanism on D and D. And these shops like Poundland, when they do Halloween stuff, you've got, well, you've got a Ouija board, but you've also got bloody knives, sexually explicit costumes, and, you know, lots of big crosses all in a row. And yep. the Ouija board's the objectionable bit? Apparently so. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm of the opinion it's an Ouija board. How hard is it to make one, really? Do you need to get special wood for that? Like, like hmm? cursed wood, no, I, wood or something like that. No, no. I don't. Just, just, I don't, just standard, just standard oak or pine. You want to have, I, you want to have a polished. You want to have a decent, decent uh, heat reta retaining wood, and you want to get it nicely polished. I mean, so let's all be honest. I don't think the Poundland one was made of wood. It was plastic at best. Let's take a look at that image just for for those who have just joined us as well. Like. It's from Creepy Town. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to see what that says. It's saying... With? What is it with? With, I think it's the thing that come, that you can move, that moves That's around. That's glass. Um, and uh, and Chet, Chetia? I can't read that. Really. Uh, I don't okay. know. Yeah, but, yeah. To, oh, I've gone on focusy. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I am just a ghostly illusion. Uh, bring the... But I mean, this common station control with Ouija board. There, there we the, go. I'm back now. I mean, the main popularization of the Ouija board was, if I remember correctly, was the the spiritualist movement. Mm. Um, About like, that period, the Victorian yeah, period. Yeah, like eight, 1880s, 1890s till about mm. the 1820s. And we haven't recently had either a civil war or or a first world war, so I don't quite know why people are getting their, themselves in a. 
tizzy over like, you know, no terrible traumatic events mass death that sort of thing yeah i don't know it's, it's oh no no i i you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i the the victorians did have an a... to come up with their next policy yeah i mean the the the, the, the victorians had a fascination with death that goes beyond anything like the lyceum theater used to have a show called phantasmagoria where they would apparently raise the dead on stage oh i saw that well, I, mean, yeah, I, saw, I saw a redo of that it was a brilliant show yeah and i mean if you look at the um the giant uh necroplexes are they outside london the uh huge cemeteries they built at that period that you know beautiful catacombs stonework i mean oh yeah I think they're mostly full nowadays, but I don't think it's necroplex. I think it's necro something or other. No, it was necro. It was necropolis. They they were going to do necropolis. The necropolis. So they were going to build the necro ne necropolis, but that never happened. Ah, okay. It was it it just didn't pan out. They decided to go for a load of small ones. I mean, I the, mean the, the railway of the dead that ran all the way to the the graveyards. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, any demon you're going to summon, if you can summon such a thing with an Ouija board, if any demon you're going to summon with a Poundland one is not going to be a good one. It would, I, I, could, see it being an, I could see it being an Adam Sandler comedy movie. Derek's <laughs> demon. And I'm going to shit in your bed. Uh, which nicely brings me on to my next topic. I'm worried about that. Are we, are we just, oh God. I mean, I mean, if we if we keep on this just briefly, I mean, have there been any sort of similar sort of I think you mentioned handmade you mentioned handmade stuff earlier, but was, has there been any, any sort of props in that have recently been released or, or so forth for cosplays that have always that have caused similar things? It just it just seems like I said earlier, it seems incredibly it's kind of like low rent. I want to complain about something, but I don't want to sound the alarm it uh, sounds like something that wish would come out with oh you can oh, buy a ouija board on wish you can ah. buy a ouija board on wish you can also buy holy water and crucifixes yep is, is this I mean, um you can get most of this crap off ebay as well is this like derek trotter holy water <laughs> it's actually petrol it's ooaj bodney ooaj bodney um, and cheerful <laughs> i mean Let's be honest, any self-respecting demon worshipper is not going to be summoning anything with Poundland. <laughs> we don't know. I, I understand the right of Ashkente only requires four cc's of what, uh, wood, uh, four oh. cc's of blood, and three little pieces of wood. Um, we go there, didn't we? You're we're going to be into the argument about the watch at this rate. <laughs> oh, Lord. Is he, he's being... He's being uh, yes, no. No Terry Pratchett. <laughs> You can run your own big stomp and talk about him. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just what does chat feel about the Poundland Ouija board controversy? Uh, well, I'm just going to look. Uh, Kumau has uh, mentioned about the Three Sisters from 1850 to 1900. Uh, and that's where we, apparently I think I'll just... It's uh, been a toy, apparently. Um, so I'll bring this little thing up here. And... Uh, Ah, yeah, the so, Fox Sisters. I, uh, I, I disagree that it's always been a toy. It was brought out primarily as a toy, and hmm. it has been marketed as a toy, and the original intention was supposed to be a novelty thing. Um, but there have been periods when it has been taken as a serious 
at all by various groups. However, as soon as you get into the discussion on that, you get into occultism, bickering and yeah. tribalism, and then I just go, sod it. <laughs> I'm leaving. This is far too dull. But yeah. I mean, you can go to mediums these days and actually have them do a seance with and a Ouija board. There's people in America mm. that do it. There's probably ones in England not been looking for them, be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, mediums are still a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And larges mm. and smalls. Sorry. <laughs> I can't take this seriously because it's literally just someone going, we've run COVID again. And flat, yeah. Flat Earth is definitely. We run COVID. We run out of stories. Let's just find something. Yeah. This you can go also... on Twitter and find something to make a story out of. Just if your your criteria is someone's upset about something, angry man in newspaper. It is yeah. kind of it is kind of kind of common with Metro, I suppose. I know Metro do do occasional decent sort of bits of pieces, but yeah, that just seems like a real sort of. It's like on a similar. It's like. To, it's like how kind of silly sometimes some stories get on like newspaper sites and stuff like that. I got annoyed. We I got annoyed about a month ago about uh, a website news site just doing a story about people being concerned that they were being monitored for piracy during tenet screenings. It's like that's that's common practice in cinema stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not a news story at all. <laughs> I mean, as long as they're not putting chips in your brains to monitor you during the screenings, I mean, if it's just people watching you with night vision, that's been going on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do believe my camera has stopped working. I'm not just frozen in horror, you know, st stupidity that's going on. So do bear with me a moment. It's like, uh... Quite right. I'm being eaten alive by my cat. <laughs> not the cats! No, I remember what happened last time the cats turned up. They uh, They managed to turn you... They turned off screens and we were lost for a few moments. Uh, Alice came to investigate me, but they seem to have left again. I'm obviously oh, not um, interesting enough. I'll move there for a second. Hopefully, Lizzie will be able to rejoin us in a few moments. Oh, I uh, yeah. sent him off to the food I've, 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 area. I, I sense, I sense the common, I sense the common discussion on this was, or the common sort of thought process is, this is a bit silly. <laughs> I story, mean, yes. Just the whole concept is a bit silly. Why? I mean, I know why. There's always, you know, we need something to fill X column inches and this will either be completely forgotten about or it will generate, you know, seething hatred and vitriol. Well, the fact that we're talking about it shows that it worked. Mm. Well, I, yes, unfortunately. I mean, it was fair enough people complained. It was the fact that Poundland actually took them off sale. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, no, you can't, you can't get them anymore. They have been removed from stores. I would wager you can't get them anymore because they've now all sold. Yeah, but, um, see, that's the thing. I thought, oh, I bet they're on eBay for like a tenner now. Can't find them on eBay either. So you know, There are perfectly good Ouija boards on Amazon. That you know what you like need that. to find one, though, don't you? Yeah. Another Ouija board. I was going to say a bit of, uh, you know, one of the, the divining rods. Casting bones or yeah. you know, examining entrails. I mean, but, uh, that just makes a mess of the carpet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and if I want to know the weather, I'll look out the window. <laughs> and so, I did, we're, this isn't really an argument of over spiritualism or anything like that. You know, no, that's no, no, a no. whole a whole topic on its own. But it's just about the 
sheer stupidity of like removing them from sale? Like, what were they hurting other than the environment? You can get a and the ghost hunters. Don't forget the ghost hunters. You can get a laminated sheet Ouija board on eBay. Cheapest one I can find is two quid seventy. I mean, I've seen beds. I've seen bedding with Ouija boards printed on them. So, like, eh? Seriously, people, if you want to communicate with people, do it while they're alive. It's a lot easier. Sorry, not going there. No, <laughs> no, you're not going there. Okay. <laughs> what the bed, the, bed, the bedding with the Ouija boards printed all over it? I I am going to leave that to people's own imaginations as to why that could be wrong. I. I'm just saying, if the if the, the the society are right and these things are dangerous, that's probably the quickest way for a threesome you can come up with. But anyway, moving swiftly on, I, oh, I, I do have a question I about. I do have a question about Ouija bedsheets. Ouija bedsheets, yes. I have a question. Do they come with a pillow-sized um, uh, planchet? so you can uh, still no. so you can still try and summon the death the dead with like a big soft pillow. The planchet that I, the one I saw, Not. the planchet was printed on the pillowcases. Oh. I must admit, now I want to see someone do a uh, a Ouija board twister. <laughs> oh my God. Right hand doom. <laughs> right oh. hand on number three. <laughs> yeah, the person. Right the foot on you. <laughs> oh lord! I think we should move on from a Ouija yeah, board. Yes, because I found. Yeah. Them. Yeah, yeah. And Otherwise, let's... we're going to go down. We're going to go down a, on a, into a world that we will not be able tonight to tonight on four people use Google. <laughs> and um, so let's move on from to something possibly equally as horrifying to some: the Netflix holiday movies. They're oh, back. Right. Oh, I'm doing a steady series of their um, Halloween stuff, and it's all good so far. So yeah, yeah. I mean, Netflix holiday movies are huge like if you search christmas alone on there it's the number that you get is amazing and they are recently branching out into halloween with hubie halloween and i think the vamp the vampires versus the bronx is sort of halloween based but yes andrew they've been doing it for a couple of years now it's just they've, they've really put a lot of money into it this year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like they, they've they've been there before, but not to the level that the Christmas movies have been there. Oh no! Like Hubie Halloween is like the newest one starring Adam Sandler, and I'd be good. honest, is it? I tried to watch it and I couldn't. Adam the Sandler coming out. The reviews coming out this week. <laughs> yeah, it apparently has a fifty-one percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So yeah, I, but it's an Adam yeah. Sandler. You love it or hate it, going in. I mean. Keep it on topic of Adam Sandler. I've actually watched Hotel Transylvania Free this afternoon, yeah, and I don't mind that series. It's a it's a Halloween Adam Sandler series, which is actually not too bad. It's, oh, he's great it, in it. It's it's family fluff, but I love the animation style from Genny Tarkovsky, and, who did who did uh, Dexter's Lab, Clone Wars, Samurai Jack, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, See, I, I, I love the Hotel Transylvania series. It's amazing because I think I don't have to look at Adam Sandler, so I can forget <laughs> it's him. Well, it's great because it, it lets him looks it lets like Adam Sandler. How does he's Dracula some acting, and he's quite good at that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Kim, as Kimmy points out, Klaus that was from last year. That was brilliant. That won a whole yeah. bunch of awards. That was excellent. It was Oscar nominated as well. Yeah, that yes. put that that put Netflix on the running for hey, we can do big league animation. It's cool. So the thing about Klaus was it actually wasn't made 
by Netflix. It was made by a studio. I'm just trying to find my note with the name of uh, Sergio Pablos Animation Studios, and it was literally distributed by Netflix. Yeah, because oh, well. the net the Netflix holiday movies you can't find the budgets for them. Like things like The Christmas Prince or mm. Christmas Chronicles or Night Before Christmas or Princess Switch, anything like that. Nowhere have I been able to find a confirmed budget, whereas mm. Klaus actually had a budget of $40 million. I so, suppose it's... But again, that was, that was a distribution. The, the, I mean, I've just gone and checked Christmas Chronicles. That was produced by someone else, distributed mm. by I suppose, Netflix. Um, Net Netflix don't make... Netflix sign these things up and distribute them. They're not making them themselves. So no, but they're putting the money towards them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like they're they're what I mean is they're bankrolling things like. Yeah. But you still can't. So they're made in house, as it were, with hmm. Netflix. Whereas I think uh, Klaus was made as an, an outhouse thing, and they sort of approach Netflix and say, "Hey, we've got this kids' film that's about Christmas, and it's really cute and amazing, and it's." Really was, mm. uh, but they've they seem to be branching out into more big budget. I suppose is the word. The, the newest one I've come across is Jingle Jangle, which is coming early November. And looking at the trailers for it, it's looks like they've upped the budget. Whatever the budget was, they've upped it. It's the effects are amazing, the cast is amazing, and it's a musical. Oh, it's got Forrest Whitaker. Excellent. Yep. And also, they've got a new one which I really want to watch, which is a baby a babysitter's guide to monster hunting. Oh, that, <laughs> which looks, is an, that, that looks really good. Yeah, which is another like Halloween holiday movie because yeah. they're, they're basically dropping a Netflix um, original, whatever that means, a, a Netflix exclusive uh, once a week at the moment um, for the Halloween, which is very I, cool. Yeah, I mean, with and it's Netflix, quality. Sorry. I mean, sorry. I feel I must bring up if possible the, uh, the film i noticed the other day and immediately shared with lizzie fat man oh god has everyone seen this no should i have um mel gibson, mystery. mel gibson oh. playing santa who does deals oh. with the u.s military and yes, I've seen that. Chased by a hitman after he gives a kid coal. Yes, it's it's they're finally decided. They well, no one can agree if Die Hard, uh, if uh, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon Christmas movies. So we're going to make Lethal Weapon the Christmas movie essentially. It, that looks. If it wasn't for the fact that Mel Gibson's in it, that looks amazing. I mean, uh, it, it looks vaguely insane, but that's not a guarantee that it'll be bad. I mean. This is the same week Nicolas Cage released a trailer about jujitsu. So, yeah. <laughs> so Fat Man seems incredibly normal in comparison to, to Nick Cage. But, yeah. um, but as I say, it used to be on the holiday season, as the Americans call it, that hallmark with the movies you watched. You know, the smaltzy, right. slightly cheesy, usually had a fairly good formula to them. They weren't great, but they weren't bad. And it seems that Netflix is like, yeah, we want a slice of that. Why not? So it, and funnily enough, like the things like the Christmas Prince, the first one did really well. It's seventy three percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, second, as the trilogy went on, it kind of went down in ratings. Fifty percent for the second, and the third coming in at only thirty three. Doesn't matter. People watched it. It's like Adam nope. Sandler. Mm. People, uh, can, 
bitch and moan yeah. as much as they about like about the ratings of it. Those things get eyeballs. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I have watched all of them because I am a great fan of cheesy romances. Yeah. And I and also, bear in mind, considering, obviously, Christmas holidays are usually very kind of strenuous times, I guess, for parents and families in terms of trying to keep people occupied while things are trying to be prepared and planned. Um, obviously, having a good bank of holiday film-themed films, even if they're not properly produced by Netflix, even if they just bought distribution rights, well, that's, they're, they're, they're probably as, they're, as, they're laughing. As Kimu says, size of Netflix content library massive um their inventory is absolutely they got shit to watch and it gets people in it gets people to watch new stuff and I, they're just nicking bbc's trick of having loads of christmas specials and and also with streaming platforms at the moment they are kind of like the the premier spot for for films to come out at the moment because obviously unfortunately in the, in the COVID situation that we are in not many new films are coming out not mm. really big big films are coming out now um it's like paramount have been selling off um several of their films to places like netflix and amazon to go okay release it release it for us because i think amazon have just purchased the uh the distribution rights for coming to america too no it's all it was it was due to come out uh, later this year but there's like cinemas made it harder to send it out so mm -hmm. amazon have just brought it off paramount and paramount are going hey we've made some money so but, yeah and it's great uh, it's great to have a huge back catalogue because people want to watch Christmas movies at Christmas. Yeah, and the thing about most of the Netflix ones is they are inoffensive. Like, you can put them on and you can watch them with grandma, the youngest kids, auntie, uncle. Maybe not El Camano Christmas, but, you know. Probably not. Black Christmas probably would upset grandma. No, but what I mean is the majority of their back catalogue. Yeah. Didn't... Didn't the new Black Christmas get like a PG thirteen rating? It, it it wasn't as strong as we as we had hoped for in the, in the horror community. Yeah, but it was still like fun for the teenagers. Yeah, it was a teen. It was a teen slasher. Yeah. It, it was there, there was a lot of um, university age or college school a uh, college girls knifing stuff and fighting and kicking ass. So yeah, it was relevant yeah. to people's interests. Um, another so, Mark, comment. Comment from Kuma, uh, Kimu. Uh, holiday movies are scattershot to build back catalogue because seasonal content does great. Unlike box office, less date sensitive. Yeah, just it makes a lot makes a lot of sense just to keep on, especially like with the Hall with with the Halloween and the Valentines because they're doing a load of Valentines as well. Um, yeah, just being able to have something seasonal that you're in the mood for that. Go yeah. for it. Um, am I right that the, um, the Christmas movie, the real, the huge outpouring of Christmas movies, is something of a 21st century thing? I, I'm now in my 40s. In and what way? I, well, I seem to remember that back when, I, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there weren't a stupid number of Christmas movies. There was yep. a few. And I think it's where the idea of things like Die Hard and. Um, Lethal Weapon as Christmas movies came out of pedantic people wanting to prove points. Well, anyway, but I don't remember a lot, not the number, the volume of Christmas movies there is now back in the 80s and 90s. I mean, I remember The Santa Claus, um, uh, not Santa Claus, sorry, it's a different one. Um, Santa Claus the movie with Dudley Moore. 
Um, and as far as specifically, this is a film about Christmas. I mean, there was the original Night, uh, Miracle on 34th Street, I think. There was the remake as well. There was also home, both Home Alone movies. Actually, all three Home Alone movies technically are Christmas yeah. movies. Well, they're Christmas period movie. Anyway, let's not get I into mean, that it's one. like um, It's a Wonderful Life. That was set at Christmas, and it's treated as a Christmas movie, but is it really about Christmas? It's a horror movie. Yeah, so is it really um, a Christmas movie? But nowadays, it seems to be they do churn out a lot of Christmas, a lot of seasonal movies, in fact, as um, Halloween. I would honestly say there are as many as there used to be. It's just that they used to be, like as was saying, the Hallmark stuff. There was a lot of schmaltzy stuff. There was a lot of low-end kids stuff. Was it more made for TV movies rather? No, than... it was just low end. It was just low end. I mean, you'd probably call it over here. You'd probably make you'd call it um, made for TV because it didn't hit the cinemas. But mm. this stuff now is also made for TV. These movies, if it's going to Netflix, it is being made for TV. It is made being made for home consumption. Um, I mean, the closest have... thing to cheap um, Christmas movie that I can think of, showing my age, is. Um, Bernard and the Genie, which but, I love and Lizzie doesn't. Okay. Going back to my previous comment, you're not going to get a huge number of Christmas movies in the UK because you have all the Christmas specials, which were effectively our Christmas movies because they were all very Christmas. I mean, Doctor Who Christmas episode is what? Hour, an hour long? Hour and 15? Yes, you, did you really? You didn't do those in the 80s and 90s the, the the doctor who christmas specials is more of a again 21st no, century using thing. that as an example but in the, back in the 80s and 90s you still had like the the christmas special episodes ian sorry uh, i was thinking um, yeah just to kind of chip in regards to kind of like christmas films at cinemas um i think i think mark's right there was a point where there were a load of them over the last couple of years um the mm. series that i always remember a lot and much to my chagrin as uh, as a person who used to work at the cinema at the time was um was the nativity series that started off with martin freeman and then had david tennant and then had um what's his name doc martin oh yeah can't remember oh can't... yes yeah sorry i hate that series yes, I, I know From, um, men behaving badly yeah yeah can't remember his name <laughs> yeah. it was so you got those films and also a lot of Christmas films don't actually seem to come out at Christmas. They're always coming out in like the first week of November because the Christmas spot has been taken up by a blockbuster film. Yeah. Because uh, it'll, be, it'll be like, say for one year, it'll be like, I think many years ago, it was like Avatar said it was coming out first week of December. And basically, if you put your film up against it any week, you're screwed in, in that sort of way. Because we've got the Boxing Day tradition. Yes, yeah. Um, I suppose it's the equivalent of putting your uh, your song up against whatever the X Factor or The yeah. Voice mm. single was for Christmas, the Christmas yeah. number one, because yeah. they had massive advertising budgets and would basically flatten you. I mean, the other thing you have to remember is for the Americans, because that's where most of these are being made, the holiday season for them basically starts uh, like Halloween and goes all the way through to the new year, because they've got Halloween, they've got Thanksgiving, they've got Christmas, like it commercially people want more holiday stuff in america but it's come over now to england mm. i suppose I, I suppose there is also um because of the larger jewish population in um, the us you have a lot more uh, respecting of hanukkah and of course that's a drawn out mm -hmm. 
period. Eight days, I believe up, it is. Yeah, leading up to Christmas, so it's not even starting at Christmas. But, I mean, uh, Kimu, lots of Christmas movies released in the 90s and 80s, low-project stuff you probably don't recall. Yeah, but they, they were... Um, you had stuff like Scrooge, technically a Christmas movie, Santa Claus the mm -hmm. movie, Muppet Christmas um, Carol. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But but that is maybe um, half a dozen films over what a ten to fifteen year period, rather I than what we just saw a page. It, it was the okay. I think I think we're looking at this through the filter of remembrance. In that it Quite was possibly. the eighties. Most of this is disposable get the shot in and bugger off never to be heard of again schmaltz um most films of the 80s that were hit the cinema we don't remember because that was 30 to 40 years ago i suppose and netflix I think, nowadays of flashing the pat you know they're 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 stuff that hits and moves on they're very these aren't there to be good films these are their to be a Christmas film to make you go, it's Christmas. So I want to what I want to feel a certain way. Here's something packaged that says feel this way. And but also, are, but also you have to take in. But also you have to take into account that when we were kids, social media wasn't a thing. Whereas now mm. you hear, oh, Netflix have got this new holiday movie. It's so cheesy. You have to watch yeah. it. And look, we've made a drinking game. Yes, and back then it was it, you saw it when either the TV, the four channels, or maybe three channels, decided you got to see it, or it was on the cinema. Now it'll be but, grabbed by Netflix or Amazon and piled into a huge heap, searchable, and you can watch it whenever. Similarly, um, you've also got the situation with the cinema in the eighties, where most cinemas had what one screen, two screens, about three. Pretty much, I don't know. Three at most. I mean, the 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 ones in Cambridge. I think we had two cinemas, which meant four four screens total. Okay. Um. So you're not going to get as big a diversity. Whereas the time that multiplexes land is the same time that a lot of these Christmas movies start. The number of Christmas movies pump up, and that's because you've suddenly got the screens you can fill. You know that every, you're going to get this many people charging into things blow up, special effects part seven, and then you want to have the Christmas movie for the kidlings or I mean, last Christmas, which was insane. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember going to see Jingle All the Way, the <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger seminal film mm, in a, a cinema. Cheesy classic. But it, I remember my mum said I could go to the cinema. She gave me the money and I went, and it was the big screen at our local cinema. Yes. And it was me and one other person in the entire cinema. Mm. <laughs> and it was like the week it came out as well. It was like, oh boy. But uh, it's, we, we've got, I think it's, a, as I said, it's, it's a genius. I mean, the Halloween movies, definitely in the UK, I've been noticing this for a while. Uh, Netflix had been upping its buy-in of um, horror movies around the Halloween period. And that they were buying more and more and more as the as, as the main channels were pulling back and doing less and less and less. Because I can't remember the last time anyone other than the Sci-Fi Channel um, did a horror marathon on Halloween. Um, whereas the BBC, back in even in two case, they were doing like movies from eight till eight, horror movies from eight o'clock till eight o'clock. Um, so how? 
all Netflix are doing are just filling in what everyone else is passing up on. So the BBC probably want to be churning these out as well because they get your eyeballs. I think also the other thing we have to take into account is that how many people actually watch normal terrestrial television or even cable anymore? Like, we don't even have, like, an aerial into our TV. We literally use it for Netflix, video games, and YouTube. DVDs. Like, you know, I, I most most kids don't have the patience to sit through normal TV anymore because they've got adverts. They can't pause it if they need to go to the loo. And, like, so that's why I think this surge is coming of holiday movies on netflix amazon all sorts of streaming services because it's convenient rather than having to go oh such and such is on channel four at three o'clock on christmas day oh it's christmas day we're bored and we don't want to talk to our family anymore quick stick something on on netflix mm. i must admit i'd love it if after christmas they put the royal institution lectures on netflix or something because i always miss them i think they're on uh, I think they're online. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, as I say, Netflix holiday movies, are they good? Are they bad? Like, can they compete? Or are they actually beating mainstream cinema holiday movies? Because well, I can't think well, of any year. recent... Well, well this, yeah, year, this year... This yeah. year, they're going to slaughter Christmas. <laughs> they're going to slaughter the cinemas, aren't they? Um... But I can't think of any like big holiday holiday themed movies that have come out in the cinema last, in the last, last year, five years. Last Christmas was yeah, really last big was last, last Christmas. year. Um, Trolls Holiday was quite big in in eighteen. Um, bad uh, the Bad Mums Christmas. I think that was oh, quite. Yeah. That's on Netflix I now. Haven't seen. Yeah, that. now. Um, I couldn't remember that because there, there was there was oh there was the God, Grinch there was, there was some... the Grinch cartoon. When did Bad Grinch. Santa come out? There was um, some god off. There was something about a nativity with a school thing that I could. Nativity remember. series. <laughs> yeah, nativity that series, was I... huge. Totally not yeah. my market, but that was huge. Yeah, but that yeah. wasn't. That wasn't. A lot of them like, were very. Oh yeah, that. We're not their. We're not their target market. Yeah. It's. It's um... norm. You know, it's norm. Norm core. I'll be honest with you. I think a lot, I, I am the target market of a lot of the Netflix holiday movies because I am female of a certain age, and I'm you know romance. Every a lot of them are based on like fairy stories, and you know, girl goes yeah. off to a weird sounding European country and meets the prince and marries him, and it's like, ooh. I think the big thing is that Netflix is able to avoid. Number one, Netflix knows exactly what you watch, which is why Sandler keeps on getting movies made with them. Um, Netflix know what you want to what you want to watch, how you want to watch it, literally how long you want to watch it for. Um, and they're they're also able to give you a decent diversity of stuff because they know so precisely how much their market wants what they can make it more tailored to you. That's that's their charm. That's their trick. That's why they can put money behind a movie that other people wouldn't watch because the touch because they know how much money they're going to get in on. Off of it. I'm now actually kind of wondering when the first uh, LGBTQ Christmas movie will come out. Um, princess um, runs off to a European country and falls in love with the princess. Happen. I mean, I don't, I can't think of any LGBTQ-friendly movies like that or non-heteronormative ones. Yeah, normally it's very heteronormative. Uh, there's usually a gay best friend. 
Island or something mm. might appear. 2009, make the Yuletide gay. That was quite gay. I don't remember it, and I'm sure it was fantastic. Um, this, this is the thing, though. We don't remember them because yeah, this is disposable. To, this is disposable content. It's popcorn theatre. That's the thing. It's, yeah. oh, it's satisfying it's, for the moment, but once you've finished watching it, you're still kind of hungry, so you go have something else. <laughs> is it basically Uwe Ball Christmas cinema? Where it's made it is it not that bad. No, it is not that I bad. I think they are. On, I Ball think these are Oscar dodge. winners compared to Uwe Ball. <laughs> yeah. Uwe Ball was was tax dodge. Great. Uh, even the third Christmas Prince movie is not as bad as an Uwe Ball film. <laughs> But again, they're they're hitting a tar they're hitting a certain market. They're, they yeah. are knock they're, they're doing what they're doing because people want to yeah. watch it. I think yeah, and the they are yeah. Sorry, Ian. so it's just to just to follow up on Andrew's point. It's just the way we consume media at the moment in terms of what we want. We will always, I think the viewer will always find something that they really want to watch. And I think that's been a great strength with Netflix mm. is if they have a Christmas film tailored to your needs somewhere in their catalog. It's like, you may want to go down the, the Christmas, the, the princess Christmas route. You may want to go down something a bit more, um, a bit more animated like Klaus, but there, there is always seems to be, there's something for the right audience. And I think that's a strength of the Netflix. On a more, movie on a more, at the moment. On a more interesting level, um, oh, Kimu's just commented star, star, star. Um, <laughs> on a more interesting level, I think the fact that Netflix are buying in so heavily to the festive stuff, to the seasonal stuff, I think that shows how much we want to watch this stuff at that time of year. Because mm. the BBC, for example, had to show a lot of Christmas stuff. Um, just for political and social reasons. And then ITV had to follow suit because if the BBC were doing it, they had to do it. So we, you're able to watch, you're able to, you know, and there's that kind of odd logic of, oh, well, Christmas movies are on, therefore we'll have to go see them. Now that people have the choice of doing something other than watching those two key channels, and they have the choice of doing something other than seeing this at the cinema, they're still going and watching them, I think, for the various seasons. I think that's quite quite interesting. I think it would be very interesting to get what, you know, we'd be able to look at the, broadly speaking, we'd be able to look at the um, who's watching what and what Netflix is putting out at any time of the year to see what people like watching at different parts of the year. I think that could be interesting. I do wonder, might this also be, the, the Christmas movie thing, uh, a matter of investment for Netflix because they know they can recycle these movies and bring them out again yeah, next yeah, year. Yeah, absolutely. Make two or three more. And after a few years of this, they will actually have an absolutely stonking huge catalogue of well, that's Christmas what, movies. That's, that's what Kimi said earlier on, on the chat. Um, they are building up this, this massive catalogue and they know what's going to work. I mean, most oh, of them sorry, don't Kimi, even come off. Most of them don't even come off Netflix. They stay on all year round. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, but, I think I think there was a tweet from Netflix saying someone has watched. I think it was one of the first Christmas Princess films. I, I apologize if I got the title <laughs> completely wrong. I think someone had watched it like twenty twenty five times in, in, in like twenty twenty five days in a row. And their tweet was, 
what's happened to you and how can we fix this <laughs> it's like it's like you've it's like you've clearly had a heartbreak let netflix help yeah. so the thing about the christmas a lot of trouble for that yeah the thing about the christmas prince movie is it is as i say very targeted at a certain subset of the population and i'm gonna be honest i'm one of them like cheesy romance where it's it's safe but there's a bit of peril and like the prince is attractive and safe looking he's not like too attractive where you want to be like oh hello he's going to be a problem and then does he have an english accent yes funnily enough and it's oh, in a fairy, delightful and it's in a fairy tale kingdom somewhere in europe where it's like a fantasy land i mean as i say the netflix holiday the netflix holiday movie drinking game is a brilliant so there's various stages of it. So there's one swig for a heteronormative couple falls in love in less than a month. It snows on Christmas, but no one seems cold. Two people just happen to stand under the mistletoe. Someone explains insane or irrational behavior by saying, it's Christmas. There's a meat cute involving a motor vehicle incident. And the action moves to a fictional Baltic sounding country like Aldovia, which has a monarchy and everyone speaks British English. And then you Hello, can go. Welcome to Aldovia. And we then don't it... appear on the map, but we are awfully charming. And we're and tidy. good looking. Or there's down your whole drink when a heteronormative couple gets engaged after two days. Uh, a character sits down and watches another Netflix Christmas movie, and the movie ends with a wedding. Every every romantic thing ends with a wedding. <laughs> At least I. I, I'm, I'm going to confess, I don't quite understand these drinking games. Um, number one, I don't understand drinking games. Um, but number two, it's like I've seen horror movie drinking games where it's things like have a drink every time someone gets killed. And I'm like, that's why I'm watching this film. I think the idea there is to turn the experience into a horror movie by causing someone to die of alcohol poisoning. For oh, yeah, I, I just don't. It's always like you've because signed up for this experience. Have a drink every time you experience the thing you agreed to. I think it's because, like, these movies, as I say, they're cheesy, and people love to watch cheesy movies as a group activity. And you know, being millennials, zillennials, or whatever the hell we are nowadays, drinking comes into it, and it's you know, it's just a bit no, of fun. Don't get me, don't get, don't get me wrong. I have no problem with people people drinking. I just don't get the drinking games. It's a personal thing. Yeah, I no, I mean, I don't particularly get them. I don't drink, but I just, I just find the the list for the uh, Netflix holiday movie drinking game quite funny. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I think we should uh, move on to. Before, uh, I think before we move on, let's do a quick round the room. Favorite Christmas movie. If, oh. if we're talking about holiday movies. Favorite Ooh. Christmas movie. Yes. Muppets Christmas Carol. It's absolutely perfect. Best version of it ever. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Which version, the original or? Um... Oh, that's hard. They're both they're both really I good. I like the rich, I didn't mind nope. the Richard Attenborough one. I like. I mean, it's got Dickie Attenborough in it, so you know it's got to have points for that. And the little girl from um, Matilda. No, not Matilda. Yeah, whatever her name is. <laughs> uh, it is the girl from Matilda. Yeah, it is the girl. Oh. Yeah, it is. Ma Mara Wilson. That's her name. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars. We're going to have the always wait. one. Always one. Look, I was expecting you to say Die Hard. When I was growing up, when I was growing up, 
that was the thing you watched at Christmas because it came on TV at Christmas. It was the only mm. time during the year it came on. Yeah. So to me, Star Wars is a Christmas movie because Fair that's enough. when I watched it. That's fine. That's fine. It, I mean, I always, I always sometimes there are films that I always sort of I've watched previously and I always go, you know what, that'd be a nice film to watch with the family at Christmas and, and so forth. Um, for me, in terms of Christmas, I'm I kind of have a very soft spot for Jim Carrey's version of The Grinch because I saw that really? in the cinema and I really, yeah, I like it. I like it. Don't like the animated one with Benedict Cumberbatch. No, that was anyway. weird. I, I, like, I don't like the Grinch movie as a whole, but I do like Jim Carrey in it. Because he's he's just being Jim Carrey, especially when it's just him mugging to the camera. It's like, yeah, great. That's his entire career. <laughs> yeah. Just but... Joe Biden. Like Adam Sandler's got an Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey's got a Jim Carrey. And I wish I had their money as a result of it. Yeah. <laughs> so um moving on from massive monster holiday movies to massive irradiated Japanese monsters. <gasps> yeah, this is another story that made me go, what is happening here? He looks um, so happy. Yeah, he does. So basically it's a Japanese theme park that's just opened. It has a life-size Godzilla statue that you zip line into its mouth. Brilliant. Yep. It's I'm gonna butcher some Japanese pronunciations. Please, chat, don't kill me. Uh so Nijiken no Mori Amusement Park on Awaji Island, close to Kobe and Naruto, not the anime. <laughs> Fans of the 1954 film can view rare film props and buy exclusive merch for Godzilla. Uh, this installation measures 23 meters or 75 feet and is not as tall as the tallest Godzilla who was in Godzilla King of Monsters. He was a 120 meters. Godzilla's had some size changes over the years. So basically what you do is you stand on a platform and they give you like a laser gun and they're like, yeah, zip line into Godzilla and go fix him. Pew, pew, pew. I don't I don't know any more than that because the video <laughs> is in Japanese and it's a very scared <laughs> reporter in like a helmet and everything going, I don't want to do this. Oh god. Yeah, you basically, the, it's a ride, and you basically zip line into Godzilla to deal with him, like to, to defeat Godzilla. Yeah. Okay, so how quickly can we get James May there? <laughs> um, Actually, oh, every, every single comment I've seen amongst the monster movie communities and, and, and peoples that I frequent, every, the, the singular response has been, oh my God, this is amazing, I want to go. It, it is going. You go. You're going to go in one end, and money's going to go out the other. It's that simple. It's so many people are just like, I get to be swallowed alive by Godzilla. I am over the moon. They all love it. I mean, I, I don't even like monster movies that much, or theme park rides, and I want to go and do this. <laughs> like it's, it looks it's like so it's, Someone just sat there and said it, and wh whoever else was in the room just went, yes. They just heard the idea and went, yes. There's no... It's going to make us so much money. Like, yeah, there's other, there's other things have turned up about it. Like this, It's not just a uh, like one thing. It's a whole amusement park. Like You can get uh, Mothra, the food. You can get like a Mothra omelette. What? <laughs> In the shape of Mothra? Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, they've okay. themed the food as only the Japanese can. Just to point out, Surprise! Whilst this might surprise some, 
Mothra is a giant moth. Yes. That would be horrible to make an omelette out of. Oh, it looked really cute. I'm trying to find the picture and I'm failing to, I miserably. I have to share this pun that my the, the Pink Apple Jam, who is currently in a different part of the Super Fortress, made. <laughs> and also, I think let's reevaluate the picture because we need to check if Godzilla does have googly eyes. He Hi does guys. indeed. Those are googly eyes. He has googly eyes. Now, all you have to do is go up to Godzilla and go, Those are googly eyes, mate. Out comes the you atomic first. fire. I'll be too busy oh. on my knees just worshipping Godzilla. I suppose they're quite lucky actually because they've also made a, an attraction that is essentially health and safety litigation proof. Because if anyone gets injured, they can just say, you rode a zipline into Godzilla. What did you think was going to happen? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, on it, given, given some of the people I know, I think if that happened, they'd be like, I won't sue if you never clean that. I now get to be a part of Godzilla forever. Sorry, um, I, yeah. I was wrong. It's not a Mothra omelette. It's a Mothra curry. And a Godzilla cream puff is one of the things. <laughs> I don't want any of Godzilla's cream, thank you very much. I mean, to a degree, it's it's. I mean, I've it's like I've got more and more into like uh, theme park theming and watching theme park vlog videos, uh, especially Tim Tracker on on the Disney World stuff, because it's like sometimes it's just, it's just fascinating to see what goes on at the parks on a on a month to month basis. But you look at some of the, the newer parks that are coming very, very soon. I mean, Japan's got Super Mario World or Super Nintendo World coming very, very soon. And it mm. will port over to Orlando in the near future. Uh, will that but, be like through a massive great green pipe? Uh, I've, I've, got, I've got an image here. Give, let me... I mean, the, I've seen the pictures and they're amazing. I, I've got an overhead view. Which like, one of you got that into. gag. Yes, we ignored it, Andrew. Here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna load it in, and this is what currently the um the Super Mario World from above is looking like at the moment. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I am, cool. I am a little concerned. I am a little concerned. I mean, it's based around plumbing. Most plumbing is not the most fragrant of environments. I mean. If they've Probably got a cup toilet in there or something, it's gonna. I think, I think Pink Apple Jam approves. She's like, wait, she's like looking at her book holidays to Japan now, isn't she? <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. I just like the fact that there's people trying to do something that's not Disney or Universal Studios. Um. Oh, there's yeah. a better picture of the zip wire. Oh, you mm -hmm. I was gonna say I. I just thought that one with the googly eyes was like hi. <laughs> oh, the food is adorable. Oh, yeah. I know. The food is adorable. Two seconds and we'll end this up. I was, I was saying, I was like, it's the just giant, that... the giant dragon in that in the stories. That's King Ghidorah, isn't it? Uh, what the the three winged dragon? Three, three headed, headed three, three headed dragon. Yeah, that's King Ghidorah. Oh, it's yep. gonna be a King Ghidorah omelet, really. Okay, so here is the nice side view of Godzilla. Now he looks more happy to see you. Like, come oh, on in. Look at that radioactive blue glow. Nothing can yeah. seriously happen here. But here, <laughs> here is the most adorable food you'll ever see. It's so cute. Oh, oh. brilliant. Godzilla <laughs> puff. Oh. Like, my for strawberries. That is. 
see that 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 I like. That's like attention to the concept and willingness to the concept. That's great. I mean, but speaking like as I say, I want to go to the Godzilla one. It, it, even though I'm not a like a fan, I like monster movies. Don't so, get me wrong, but I still want to go. Can I ask? I've been noticing. I've been reading. I've been seeing stuff about the giant Gundam. Hmm. Is that for a theme park, or is it just people got Should bored and decided it. to build a Gundam? It depends which one, because there's several. Yeah, so there's one that is a, like just they're building it for because it's Japan and we love Gundam and it'll be a draw. There's a they're showing off, and there's a guy yeah. who's actually built a Gundam that he can't take out of the shed that he built it in because it's too tall. <laughs> but you can... sheds, they mean something that is thirty feet tall. Yeah, it's like a it's like a small aircraft hangar. But like we recently watched uh, James May, Our Man in Japan on Netflix, uh, not Netflix, Amazon, mm-hmm. and he you can actually he he got to sit in this. Gundam and it fires like bullets. I think they were like tennis balls. That, that, that's a war that that's the walker. That's yeah. not tech, that's not a gundam. That's not a brand of no, gundam. No, no, no. So there's two walker and one okay. gundam. Yeah, oh, okay. he's, actually, he's actually built two and it was amazing and I want one. <laughs> but like like the for me, like theme parks, I'm not a big fan because I find them really commercial and not themed to me like i know that they're a business and they're supposed to be commercial but they, they i just they're not they don't appeal to me but there is a theme park that appeals to me it's called evermore and it's in um it's in america and it's okay. basically a D adventure comes to life all right okay so it is themed like a european village with its own building citizens and epic story you interact with characters go on quests and become part of the world of evermore and it's yeah, right. it's basically D and D and LARP crossed over. That's I want to go. go so badly. The one, the one I really want to go to. Sorry, no, you go. Um, I was just thinking it's probably very similar to the Witcher training camp. In uh, is it um, Poland? Oh, you're thinking the Harry Potter one? I think it's no, in Poland. Which one? There's a Witcher one. Which I think is like LARP training, and uh, you get to uh, live in a castle and be a witcher. The the one I would like to go to um, is Diggerland in Kent. Oh, excavators! Oh, yeah, they basically got about twenty or so excavators and a very large amount of area. And went, you can drive I'm that. If you this want. JBC, <laughs> go over the hill. It's just JCBs <laughs> that you just go and have a go on. He's not uh, not Australian soldiers. Yeah, I have been to Diggerland. It is as amazing as you think it is. (laughs) So Uh, if I love diggers, I'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is very. It is the name in the title. What it is is in the title. You go and you expect a land of diggers, and that's what you get. Yes. It's full of screaming kids, though. So that was the only that was the only downside I had to it. I can scream louder. Digger land. Can you fix it? No, but you can put a huge hole in it. I just now, I just now imagine the Rangty man just it's like there's a group of like 12, 14, maybe 20 kids is going, oh, diggers, 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 diggers. And Rangty man's just going, mine! <laughs> <laughs> I would cue patiently and politely. Yes. He's like, he's no been... children. I'm I don't have a problem with kids or with queuing. 
just with both of them together. No, no. I just buy I just buy priority passes because I'm a twat. I, 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 I could just imagine Raggedy Man on a digger now going, no. Nah. Oh god, yeah, yeah. No, if I get on that thing, I'm screaming. Oh crikey, that giant German mining machine that you know is oh, the size of, yeah, no, of a that, stadium. I love the fact that someone tried to go joyriding on that, and they got like about two levels up before security. Got yeah, to them. They're on this thing it. for about like twenty minutes, constantly heading towards the control room, and this. the cops caught them. World's largest <laughs> digging in Germany. Um, I can it's... play skittles with a digger at Diggerland. My <laughs> you God, you can. Yeah. Yeah, I, I took my uh, godson and his older brother, and uh, let's let me tell you, taking two small boys to Diggerland, you can get away with a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's also Diggerland USA, apparently. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. but it's but probably about ten times not bigger. Kent, therefore, far less convenient for me. This is true. This is true. I, I mean, I'm sorry. No, the other one I also went to was Pepper Pigland. Don't recommend. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Isn't that part of Alton Towers or something now? Uh, it might be, but at the time, this one was just like, I think it was some guy who sort of wasn't worried about licensing, and he's like, yeah, I've opened Peppa Pig Land, come along, and it's like, um... It's like a test encounter at Tesco's. It's Peppa Pig and family, just slightly drawn oddly. <laughs> like Peppa Pig. Yeah, and just, just, some, just someone just dressed as Peppa Pig. It's like, Peppa, 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 hello! I'm Peppa Pig. <laughs> I think I remember reading somewhere that Peppa Pig is actually like seven foot tall. That's they've worked mm. out how tall she is, and it's like that's terrifying. A seven foot tall, tall. And she could eat a child. Aren't, aren't there only there's like two humans in Peppa Pig world? Santa and the Queen. No, I think the Queen's I, a pig. No, the Queen's a pig. Well, she's some animal, and I think okay. Santa is also a also a pig. I love okay. the fact that we're getting into Peppa Pig now, like as oh, like we all watch it. <laughs> this is why I'm saying nothing. I don't comment. All I know is it looks weird. Beyond that, no, not it? my bag. I'll be, fair, to be honest. I'm more of a, a Sarah and Duck fan person. Oh my god, kill me now! No idea. Uh, what was it? Um, in terms of like unique sort of park experience, it's not necessarily a park experience, but it's like an experience per se. I think they are currently in the progress of building the Judge Dread place in London. Oh wow. Oh, that's more of a interactive uh, kind of like interactive, interactive. run through experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is that more cool. like Which is that like the Harry? Cool. Is it like the Harry Potter thing? No, it's more it's more like the old Aliens experience they had. Oh, at, um, I remember that. I, yes. I never went on Alien War. Uh, I was too young at the time, and I probably would have been scared quite shit. Because I was at the Trocadero in London. Or something. Yeah, yeah the great in yeah. the basement level. Yeah. And it always it always started off as like yeah, you had two doors. You had one door with people going in with the with like the marine going, come on in, come on in, it's gonna be and fine. You had one it's door be with fine. people running out of and, run, and you just got the marine mm. shouting, get out, get out, get out. Basically, that, that's that's more of a really specialized haunted house. Mm. Yeah. But it would be I it would have been cool to go on oh, now Christ, I'm older. Yeah. Older. It's just, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I'm, brilliant. I miss fun things like that, like that at the Trocadero. I miss the outside. Yeah, I miss. We just miss like going out and doing fun things for the heck of it, don't we? Really? Oh. I will never, I will never forget the bubble works at Chessington. <gasps> oh, Professor! Before they Bert. turned it to Gruffalo. What? They changed it to the Gruffalo. 
was the only ride I would go on at Chessington was Professor Burp's Bubbleworks. Yeah. That shows you how often I went on the damn thing. There, there, was, there was a perfect faded uh, fridge magnet at, here at home where it's me, my brother, my sister, and I am just looking terrified. I was playing, I was playing terrified. I was like, it's like the bubbles, they're everywhere and I'm scared. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I go to theme parks occasionally and I don't like roller coasters, so this is my problem. There's not a lot to do at theme parks unless you like roller coasters and mm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like when I went to Disneyland Paris a couple of years ago, I'm not, I am not the best with sudden drop, right? I don't like sudden drops. They, they's like, I just don't like it. But I had to, I thought I earned my bravery points. And me and my lovely other half went on Tower of Terror. Oh, the, no. the picture is amazing. <laughs> so my parents, when I was seven, took us to Disneyland Paris. My, me and my two brothers and both my, my parents. And we went on Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, yes. Because... I'm a coward. I freely admit this, but I was also seven. And my mum was and dad were like, no, this is fine. There won't be a problem. And of course, there's the, the sudden drop on Pirates oh, of the yes. Caribbean. Towards the end. Towards the end. Um, apparently, so I obviously, apparently I screamed so loudly that we were met by security. <laughs> and they were like questioning my dad as to who he was, like in relation to me. And I'm like, that's my dad. And they're like, no, no, it's okay. Come. And my mum came over and was like, what are you doing? That's my husband. Like... I am sorry, the child, she screamed. <laughs> but yeah, my dad always used to joke that he still had the imprint of me clutching onto him when that happened. <laughs> I'm a coward. I'm a coward. I freely admit it. Even as an adult, I hate those things. Well, the, the worst the worst photo of probably me on a ride was at Alton Towers years and years ago because I'm not a big fan of the Logton rides as well. I just don't like the idea of getting wet on a ride. But there is a picture of me in, in this is when I was about probably seven or eight years old kind of clinging to dear life on the on the actual thing thing and just as my i had a baseball cap and that went flying off the ride and it was like eh. yeah, <laughs> there's a picture because myself and pink apple jam went to alton towers for mm. our honeymoon because obviously you know we wanted to go somewhere different but we still wanted to be in the generalized fortressy environment mm. um and we went on one their log flume and there is just this wonderful picture of me very gentlemanly uh, holding her as a meat shield when we went down to the soaky bit so that I I would be fine. <laughs> oh. uh, like, I love your wife, but please protect me from the water. <laughs> yeah, and since then she has been my darling meat shield. So I think the one I think the thing I just really like with theme parks is sometimes it's usually the theming or even like the build ups to the rides I really do like because it's just it's just nice theme setting it's, it gets you in the mood for what you're well, about it, it, it's one thing i'll always say about disney parks is they they have so much attention to detail in the environment it is a a wonderful altered reality it is a very artificial these are incredibly artificial environments and they're handled so well and they're so thoughtful um the ghibli museum which is essentially <gasps> a studio ghibli theme park everything in there is so so much to even the stonework you know, yeah. just bricks in the ground. It's um, they have made a building that feels like it has come out of a Ghibli, a Ghibli animation, and they've managed to get because there's a lot of variance in the style of, Ghib of Ghibli movies. They've managed to get, get areas that are reminiscent of each style of the, of each movie. So that that as a as a theme park is, oh, is very. It doesn't have rides. I'll grant you that. 
Um, it did have a cat bus that I was too old to go. Yeah, so I have a fun story about that cat bus. So cat I bus also had security that spotted I was about to go on it and, and looked at me funny. So so I, I went to the Ghibli Museum when I was 19, when I went on my trip to Japan, and there was a cat bus, and like all the signs were in Japanese, so none of us knew what they said. So we all went on the cat bus and then got yelled at by security. <laughs> like this tiny Japanese man was yelling at us in Japanese, and we were all like, um really sorry i can't remember what sorry is in japanese but we were like uh sumimasen yeah that was it we were like sumimasen sumimasen and he's like ah, no, no. We're like i'm really sorry we don't know what you're saying and he then apparently one of the security guards who spoke a bit of english said no for children for children <laughs> <laughs> tell them you're a child hang on hang on, hang on, hang on. yeah i mean look it's it's all it's like a giant fuzzy cat bus that you, kids can climb on why can i not climb on it I have a picture of a reference. You have a picture of the fizzy cat bus. Was it this cat bus? Yeah. It was indeed that cat bus, yes. Yeah. See, why can't we enjoy that nice sort of thing? They should have an adults-only session. I did get a cat bus from there, and it's one of my more prized possessions. Uh, Chip in from Pink Apple Jam in the comments. Disney theme parks were made because the only equivalent in the 50s USA were traveling carnival circuses, which did not feel clean or safe, given the amount of horror movies I've seen based around traveling circuses. Yeah, they do not seem safe. Uh, so Disney strives to be exceptionally clean and safe, which they are. Yes. You cannot are. buy chewing gum in Disney in Disney parks. It no, is banned for, from sale in Disney yeah. parks. And if you are caught chewing it, you are asked to dispose of it yeah. as well. But and not Yeah. But even stuff on like the, the, the flow of people and how They've designed the area to get people in and in in the morning and out in the evening as efficiently as possible. It's just just the the the, the structure of the facility on a crowd control level is phenomenal. They put there's not one area they haven't put huge amounts of thought into, which is really cool. Oh, when you look into the the, the sort of the hidden underpinnings of the Disney, um, like the original Disney World has enough space to put um, all the guests and staff into a nuclear bunker should the need arise. Mm. I think they are actually allowed to build their own nuclear power plant if they want to. Well, that's that, that that's definitely in Florida because they own basically yeah. a, a county. Um, no, I think, yeah, because Epcot used to be, Epcot was originally conceived as Walt Disney's vision of what a self-sustaining It was going to be a community. And yeah. they applied for um, for plane permission to build a nuclear reactor for power. They never did it, but they have the permission. Always a nice one to have in your back pocket. Well, yeah, we can go nuclear if we want. But also, course, uh, sorry. No, I was going to say. Also, I think part of the the thing that is why Disneyland is so good is it plays on the nostalgia because i mean every kid grew up watching disney movies even mm. if you didn't watch all of them you watched some of them and mm. it doesn't matter which movie except for a few that disney are disclaiming <laughs> completely you know i i mean i remember going to disneyland and seeing a song of the south ride <coughs> so they were different yeah. times they were very different times yeah very but um times yeah but nostalgia is a good way to lead into your next topic. I know. I was, did you, did you like? Did you like that? Did you like that? I was trying was to be professional like professional segue. <laughs> professional, professional segue. 
So let's talk about warm and fuzzy nostalgia and the recent rise of reboots and sequels. Is it a good thing? We're not talking about Disney because we have talked about the Disney remakes on other shows and it's old ground, including this one, but it's old ground. We're going to talk about other stuff, mostly because Ready Player Two has been announced, the novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movie will probably be not far behind. Andrew, what is going on in your background? Mm-hmm. I think one of your gimps has escaped. <laughs> um, I'll ignore him. He'll go away. People, people have been reporting seeing it's him. It's okay. Play. It's uh, so. it's it's numfar. He's doing the dance of joy. So yeah, so you've got Ready Player One sequel novel is due on November twenty fourth. Uh, Basically, the plot follows on from the first book uh, with more secrets of the Oasis founder, James Halliday. Is that how he pronounces his name? Halliday. Uh, And Will Wheaton is once again narrating the audiobook because he released a teaser image on his social media of the title page of the novel and he called it Homework. So that should be quite exciting. Um, Yeah, I mean, I liked the first movie. I haven't read the book, I'll be perfectly honest with you, but Mm -hmm. apparently a lot of people didn't. I, I, in terms of Ready Player One as a film, I didn't mind it. It was probably one of the more pulpy, streamlined, probably Spielberg films that have been because Spielberg had been focused a lot on the prestige picture every every year. So things like Lincoln, things like The Post, things like Bridge of Spies, and stuff like this. So this was kind of like his first kind of more mainstream focused film. But it's all right. But it's not. It, it's a very yeah. bizarre nostalgia because. The hero in it isn't nostalgic for mm. the things in it. The hero in it knows about the pop culture references as... Uh, okay. He doesn't care about these things because he's seen the movies and because he's consumed the content. It's a, it's a, second, it's a second order of abstraction because he cares about them because the guy who set the challenge cared about them. Mm. Yeah. These are not things he has an emotional connection to. He has an yeah. emotional connection about wanting to know about all this specific batch of stuff. And that that's, that's where I get the problem with the nostalgia presented in Ready Player One. It is not actually nostalgic for the things being shown. It's a trigger nostalgia. It's a ooh, I recognize that. Ooh, I recognize that. Ooh, I recognize that. It's this. Um, it, it's a call and response. It's not the actual feelings of it. it. It's not about the feelings that these things give you. It's about the feelings that recognizing these things gives you. If that makes if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, um, though the the film had a budget of uh, about one hundred and seventy five million, and the box office returns were. Five hundred and eighty-two point nine million. So money, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not disputing that, and I'm I'm not disputing the fact that the book sold an absolute ton. I mean, I'm not. But I can still look. I'm not sure if I quite agree with you on the. It's not nostalgia. It's just recognizing things. I think the whole idea was that um, Halliday wanted people to know the things that he loved when he grew up. And so yeah. he included them in the game, but then there's that's not a reason that the people who see them and learn about them to try and solve his puzzle don't also come to love them because they're good stories. I mean, I think everyone would agree that the original Ghostbusters and films like that are still wonderful stories. They, 
even if you don't have the associated I saw this when I was 12 and I loved it sort of thing. I honestly, uh, I get where you're coming from and I agree with you, but these people are doing in-depth research into this stuff for the primary and the primary motivation for it is they want to win <laughs> the you know, they want to win the internet. They literally want to win control of I'm not going to get into how broken the story is and how unrealistic the situation is with it and how none of that would ever actually be yeah. and how awful a game the Oasis is. Um, but it's... I get what you're saying, but it, it is... Even the way it's written about, it's a deeply fetishistic approach to stuff. It's basically all about, look at me, I have this thing that you'll remember. Very rarely about the actual thing. That, that's a style I issue. I would almost say, in a way, that's your. It's almost the dividing line between the two factions of good and evil. The the guys who are doing it for evil are the ones who are um, are the ones who want it for the power it gives, who are just learning about this as information to be used to solve a puzzle. Whereas the people who are the good guys essentially are the people who are seeing this content and loving it the way Halliday did. They are his um, spiritual children, essentially, because they are becoming like him, learning the same things he did. But they're not. He learned how to, he learned how to make an entire virtual reality. They're learning it as well. his puzzles. Yes, I because mean, he put those puzzles in so people would learn about what he loved, where it, whether it's racing games, King Kong movies, Back to the Future, The Shining. And the people who are winning love Bill and Ted. The people who just want the power for the power's sake, they don't love Bill and Ted. They just have learned about Bill and Ted because they want to win the game. So you've got the two factions, the ones who are learning I, I it get, and the ones who are loving it. I get where you're coming from, but I disagree with you. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, Ready Player One is probably its own subject, but like the nostalgia for it is for the things it shows is the word is sort of what nostalgia goggles. That I mean, that's the thing. Everyone's heard the phrase. Have you? You've got your nostalgia goggles on. Ready, Ready Player One cashed in on that. Um, Bill and Ted Face the Music recently came out and has done surprisingly well. Um, not so great in the box, not so great in the box office because, funnily enough, COVID. But uh, it's made an estimated thirty-two million in US digital rentals as of the thirtieth of September. I, which is I don't, I don't think Bill and Ted is. I wouldn't put Bill and Ted in as nostalgia. Yes, there's obviously some nostalgia for it. Yeah, but it's but it's cashing in on the nostalgia of people love the first and the second movie, and now suddenly we have a sequel. How however many years after, or well, threequel, someone called it, and I wanted to smack them for that. <laughs> um, it's like what's a threequel? It's a trilogy. <laughs> I... But it is yeah. it is feeding off the nostalgia again because the people going to see it are our age. Oh, or yeah. they're taking their kids. That's what I'm talking. I'm not talking about whether it's nostalgia actually, as by the definition of what nostalgia right. is. Uh, this is more of the the effect of nostalgia goggles on current media. I I I think that one's a. I, I would suggest that's not a great example. 
Ian, go for it. I've been gobbing enough. I mean, I mean, in, I think with Bill and Ted in particular, I think it's like, I think the film has more to do with the fact that Keanu Reeves is still kind of like a pop culture kind of focus point because every so often he will do something and people are still kind of oohing and ahhing. And he's an internet darling, of course he is. Um, but anything from things like cyberpunk to just saying you're breathtaking at E3 to, to John Wick and stuff like that. I think the third Bill and Ted film didn't necessarily come out of... I think, in, in essence, yes, it comes out of the fondness for the originals. But it's more... Keanu Reeves is still quite popular. Hmm. And that's why, it, And we've got a fourth Matrix film next year. So. Yeah. That, that, I, I, get, I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from because this, this is a third part 20 years later. Um, but I, I don't think it falls in the current in the current nostalgia reboot remake retell thing. It is just the third part of the story. It, yeah, it is. It is kind of like a third entry. It's not like trying to re. Yeah. I think with some of the other examples, I think you can pile together, Lizzie. I think one in particular, like Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I think when they did answer the call in 2016, 2017. 2016, 2016 yeah. was. It it was more it wasn't so much of creating its own thing. It was kind of, hey, we're trying to recreate the nostalgia yeah. magic of yeah. Ghostbusters, mm -hmm. which didn't necessarily, which had various different failings in its own accord. Obviously, the core base wanted nothing to do, the core base of fans wanted nothing to do with it because it wasn't their Ghostbusters. So why would they be excited about new Ghostbusters? The new one. Um, Afterlife. Afterlife. Mm. The advertising I've seen for it, I can't comment on the film because obviously it's not out. But the advertising is very, hey, do you remember the original Ghostbusters? Because the soundtrack of it, the, the soundtrack of the trailer is extensively sound bites from the original. So that, I would say, is definitely trading on the nostalgia. Also, Afterlife's directed by Jason Reitman, son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the first two films. Yeah. It also has Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver, and Annie Potts all playing their original roles in, in probably some okay. shape or form yeah I mean, that... the, the, the current trade the current trade at the moment gives the position it's the it's uh egon's uh family obviously egon's not mm. there because obviously Harold Ramis mm -hmm. is no longer with us um but the 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 general spiel i can get from it is his his grandchildren or son or something like that discovers from a local family farm the the big car the ghost traps and stuff like that and would you know it there seems to be a well of ghosts coming out of town as well yeah there's like mm. a hell vault under yeah. something so they're they're they are really plugging into like the original characters so forth um but in a way i think that it's um very much they've gone the opposite way to um the 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 remake that they did uh, in 2016 they've gone for this time they're going for nostalgia they are literally aiming mm. at nostalgia going look at these children as they rediscover all the things we loved all these years ago where rather than the 2016 which was uh we are creating a whole new story based on the same idea which isn't yeah. nostalgic and yeah it was an, it was an alternate universe the 2016 I mean, film. I, I, I still think the 2016 on i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna diss the movie because i thought i personally enjoyed the movie a lot I think there are flaws right. in the movie, it, but I still enjoyed right, it. But yeah. I, I still think it would have been um, more successful if they'd had it as a continuation of the Ghostbusters. 
story on that shot and kept it in universe. It would be more interesting. I wish the big thing with Ghostbusters is um, the original movie was huge because it was just unprecedented. You took four of the absolute cutting edge of comedy, people who are just break, you know, they, they were utterly killing it on Saturday Night Live. These were the 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 cream of the up and coming comedic world. Um, they went and made a movie about something that just wasn't comedic territory, and they produced something new and exciting and different. And I think if they'd taken that path with uh, Answer the Call, with probably with exactly the same cast, I think the fact that it was a reboot kind of made it harder to do and didn't make it... It made it a retread to a great yeah. extent, rather than a let's take all... Let, let, let's put everything together and see if we can get it to boom again by putting the, the actual components, as in getting the really comedic minds together going crazy, doing stuff. That... Answer the Call very much tried to be a comedy when they made it, and they had some wonderful comedy talent to do that. Right. But the trouble is, the first film wasn't done as a comedy. It was done with comic talent, but it was while well, there were lots of jokes in it, it wasn't done as a comedy. It wasn't yuck, yuck, yuck every five seconds. It was actually yeah. almost, almost... It was a kind of... It was very serious in places, and then punchline... But yeah. not, we are telling yeah, jokes they, here. They, they, they told effectively an action horror story. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. and the other problem like I had with Answer the Call was the script didn't seem to know where it was going. Like, yeah. I, as I say, I've seen it. It's fine. Like, I don't hate the film, but I don't love it. It's like the script seems to have a sort of identity crisis halfway through. And you're just like, wait, so who's the bad guy? Yeah. And, you I, know... I, some of the jokes were just cringy. Like, well, to be fair, some of the jokes, some of the jokes in um, the original Ghostbusters, especially if you look at them now, they're quite cringy. But the core of it was this really solid, really tight comedy horror. Oh, hmm. sorry, action horror. Um, I mean, like the dance routine. I will always say the dance routine was funny, but it had no place being in that movie. In answer to the call. I think if they don't wanted to do the dance routine over the end credits as like a gag thing yeah. would have been quite funny. But the fact it was like in the middle of the movie and you're just like, wait, why are they like yeah. in Ghostbusters two when they did the whole thing with the you know the Statue of Liberty dance and the dancing in the street that worked because it actually fitted into the story. Yeah, I I, I just. I, love, I I really enjoyed Answer the Call, but I can still still say I know why it didn't do as well beyond the screaming man babies going, Oh my god, woman's um <laughs> Yeah, okay. The whole fact like the whole fact yeah. it was a female all all female cast, I didn't have a problem with because it doesn't matter if the cast was all men or women, as long as they told a good story, I was willing I, to be happy. I think I think that was the problem. They didn't let the actors, the actresses really drive the story as much, which is where it really worked in Ghostbusters, was it was very driven by the four stars. If yeah, I mean, I think I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit. So I, I don't necessarily see 
the appeal of Ghostbusters. I appreciate people love and completely adore Ghostbusters. I I used to work with people at summer who absolutely loved it every time like uh, Ernie Hudson appeared at conventions. They would go, they would get his autograms and stuff like that. Um, but I've I've never seen the appeal. I've never seen the appeal. And and I think if I think that was one of the damaging things from Answer the Call. It wasn't the fact the film film was I mean, I found the film was fine. Film was fine, happy to watch it, didn't mind it. It's something I could imagine watching on a Saturday night or on it with with family if we're bored. Um but I think people's behaviour around the film, especially especially fans doing video essays or saying why they won't comment or won't or won't properly consider the film because it's not my ghost it's like fine you, you don't have to like it but it's very spiteful it's very spiteful and it was it was ugly and so, i and it, and it just and i just it's like it's like if this is the same fan base that's saying i should be enjoying the original ghostbusters i don't want anything to do with this i i, I think some of that is well num number one i'm not surprised you don't like it it's a 36 year old comedy it's if you weren't there at the time, there's there's a good chance you you won't get it because that the time has passed. Yeah. Um. I mean, even when it. I mean, the other thing is that when it came out, um, no one expected it to be anywhere near as big as it was. Everyone, you know, it it it's totally caught people off guard. It was a, a surprise that it did that well. Um, and the third thing is, when did you first meet fandom, Ian? Yeah, I was gonna say, Ian, are you new on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I think, I think I was more aware. I mean, obviously, fandom has been fandom for years, but I think it was probably my first kind of eye opener to how problematic fans can be. I mean, sometimes toxic, like, the word you're looking I, for is toxic. I, yeah. I was just so. That whole thing, because I, I was a huge Ghostbusters fan, and then that kicked off, and I was just like, guys. I think, yeah, the the one the one thing that really did it for me, I think it's the guy who plays the angry video game nerd. He did a thirty minute video explaining why he had no intention of seeing it, why people shouldn't see it, why it's not his Ghostbusters. Like, dude, you, I appreciate you're a fan of the film, but this this just makes me this just brings you across in a very so, bad light. Not, not so this, sorry. Sorry, I, did, I, I got in a fight with someone on a forum about this. It's not my Ghostbusters. And I went, dude, it's not trying to be your goddamn your Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Like, it's like trying it. to... Yeah, it's, <laughs> Ghostbusters is not a set thing. It's, I mean, God's sake, the cartoon wasn't anything based on the movie. I, 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 will, I will say, I do have a fondness for bits of the cartoon series. Because I remember watching that more oh, yes. than the film. See, I saw the cartoon first, and then I bugged my parents to get me the VHS of the two Ghostbusters movies. And my mother was like, "No, no, no! You'll it's it'll scare you, it'll scare you." I'm like, "No, mum, I want it to give it to me." So my dad finally bought it for me, and I loved it from the first moment. I was like, "Wait, I mean, Janine is my spirit animal." <laughs> Just gonna point oh, this Janine out. Was amazing. I mean, I am channeling Janine tonight. I decided, you know, with the hair and the glasses and the lipstick. For me, with the whole vitriol over after the call, being female and hearing this, I was just like, wow, you're not my fandom. I don't claim you. I don't want to be associated with you. Um, 
I'd like to riff off what uh, M Quinn UK said. He said sometimes you're not the audience from that. That's okay. And I'm spotting a number of similarities, and I don't want to start a fight on this one. So please let me let me speak it out. I'm not spotting a number of similarities between the fan reaction to the watch um, yeah. and the fan reaction to Ghostbusters. So for anyone who hasn't seen this, has seen it so far. Um, the Watch trailer, the trailer has come out for the BBC America's The Watch, which is allegedly based on Terry Pratchett's uh, Guard series. And it does not look like the, the Watch from Terry Pratchett's books. Okay. It doesn't. But it actually looks okay. And that, that's okay from what I've seen. Yeah. It looks like it'll be an okay series. It looks like it's going to have a whole load of representation. It looks like it's got great actors. It looks like the plot's pretty solid. It looks like um, it's got really good production values. As a piece of content, it looks pretty good. I mean, obviously, we've only seen like a couple of bits of it. So we can't say in the full, you know, everything's in there. But the reaction against it of people instantly dismissing it because it's not what they remember. Yeah. And and huge, huge, again, huge essays, video essays and physical essays have been written about this based on five minutes of content. And it's the same style of, oh, my God, this isn't what I remember reaction. I mean, obviously, and I, I know that a chunk of this is because it's Pratchett going into TV series and it's not paying homage to the books correctly, yeah. but it is a similar reaction. The, the thing that I always think with Pratchett, though, like, I really liked Going Postal and The Hogfather, which apparently makes me a bad person, but I don't <laughs> understand why. I, I have read very few Pratchett books. Mark is the Pratchett fan in this house. But from one of Pratchett books I have read, there is no way you could do that on television for any sort of reasonable budget. The world of Pratchett works in novels because he can explain things, he can world build really well, and his worlds are his world is amazing. But trying to recreate the disc world on a television show budget, not happening. Possibly. I, I don't know. I mean. Then when you've, I'm also a big fan of The Expanse, and The Expanse is a world that requires a lot of complex sets, a lot of CG, and they've done Game of Thrones. Game yeah. of Thrones was very Pratchett in look, um, done on it, but then again, it had a fairly massive budget, so you'd probably have to shoot the whole thing in Prague or somewhere like that, one of those old parts of the world that still have a lot of stonework, but. I, I had heard that they were doing a watch. I hadn't seen the most up-to-date things yet. Um, Sky, but... yeah, Sky, Sky has definitely done... Sorry to interject. Um, Sky... I think Sky is uh, live action. Sky did Hogfather going Hogfather, Couple yeah, of right. Magic. Couple of other bits. They seemed okay. They seemed fine. Yeah. I, again, it's like, I'm not... My brother is more uh, National Hampshire. He's more of the Tratchet fan than I am. <clears throat> um, I mean, I... I, I I, uh, I've played one of the Discworld games, the animated one. I think the second one presumed missing when Death Goes Missing, which was fun point pick. But no, you um, see, yeah, sorry, you carry see, on. Um, sorry. Yeah. Um, Lizzie says that I'm the Pratchett fan in the family. I became a Pratchett fan after watching the Sky interpretation of um, of uh, going, uh, not going postal, of uh, Hogfather. 
I, I tried to read the Pratchett books before that and had read the Rincewind and Witches ones and hadn't quite got it. After Hogfather, I read the Guards books and absolutely loved it and devoured everything he'd written. Um, well, except for Truckers, Diggers and Wings, which I'd seen on, on the BBC for years ago, but that's something oh, else. Yeah. Um, but there's he's created the world which is originally intended to be comedic there's lots of little references in there in the early books where he's obviously not intending it to be a, a full-fledged world he's just drawing in things for comedy value it was a parody the the, the, yeah. the first two or three books were just straight mm. piss takes of established oh, absolutely um, fancy canon and it makes a, it's a broken world uh, there's a reason that Vetinari, if you follow his description, doesn't actually gel all the way through into the later books. And I must admit, I am not a big fan of the the color of magic, the light, fantastic things like that. I that those the Rincewind books, I'm not a big fan of, and I wasn't a big fan of David Jason's portrayal of Rincewind, but that's fine, nothing to do with it. Mm. And then I had an image of Moist von Litvig in my head, and. Uh, I can't remember the name, Peter Cole or something, who, who yeah. or Peter Coyle played uh, Rincewind. And again, I didn't really enjoy his representation of him, but that doesn't mean I don't love the stories. It's lovely to see them made. And I'm sure that the Watch books will, or Watch series will be amazing, even if I don't necessarily enjoy the who they've got playing the characters. Hmm. I mean, for me, I... I... Yeah, for me, I got introduced to Pratchett. I was at the Edinburgh Fringe and somebody was putting on Weird, Weird Sisters and he's doing a pastiche of Shakespeare. I'm there. <laughs> I loved it. They did it as an animated series, didn't they, Weird Sisters? Mm. They, did, yeah, they, they did. They did do the um, yeah. first, at least the first It's on, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. It's amazing. Ah, I think it was the late 80s. Uh, no, late 90s. But the, so going, like, as I say, nostalgia has two sides to it. Like, I, I always think of it as a bit like 3D glasses. You've got the red side and the blue side. You've got yeah. the wonderful warm and fuzzies. It's like, oh, the thing that I love is being remade and now I can like share it with a newer generation. And then, of course, you have the stuff where you know, people hate it because it's not what they think it should be. It's like, yeah. cut, like using... Okay, I'll use um, like one of the animated... The new She-Ra series. I grew up on that. I devoured that as a child. I had all the toys. I had the books. I had the coloring. I had She-Ra bedsheets. Like, I had it all. And I love the new series. Like, I, it's amazing. It's great. Because it's still the series I love, but it's done in a new way to make it more accessible for modern audiences. Because mm. let's be honest, the original She-Ra and He-Man were toy commercials. That's all they were. But now it's and, got like and, it's got stories, it's got representation, it's got believable characters for all that's a fantasy it's princess. It's a really thing. solid. It's a, it, by its own right, it's a really solid, very tight five season, um, story. It's good, objectively good. Um, people hate it though. There are people. I think. Yeah, but people can fuck off. <laughs> There's always going to be people that are just going to bitch because it's not what they wanted, and you can't do anything about it. Ignore well, they're, them. They're not spending the money. Fuck them. Well, if you look at comparison, obviously, in terms of like the animation style and kind of like stories between, obviously, the original Shiro and He-Man to, to now, I think the 
the fact that it works it works well now because you've got people who are who are more focused on telling stories than trying to sell a toy line mm. that's the, that's the thing and you can actually sense that they are crafting a world they're crafting characters yeah. i've only watched one or two episodes of she-ra probably will watch more of it it's just finding the time um because kevin i think there's the a new he-man coming i think some point next year kevin smith produced and stuff like that all voice Could cast up as well Could be, i mean yeah. There was a reboot of the He-Man series, sort of early two thousands. Um, yes, was actually, on Cartoon Network. Yeah, actually, yeah. wasn't that bad. Yeah, but I like that one. I, I like the fact for She-Ra, like they took characters like Caster Speller and Mamista, who, let's be honest, they were dolls. That's what they were for. But they've actually made them work in the new She-Ra. Thundercats also had a reboot, as Pink Apple Jabba said. Uh, it, also I... had, it also had a third reboot in which everyone became Teen Titans Go for Thundercats Raw. Yes, that was hilarious. Which I, which I, I secretly do. We binged it. It was so funny. <laughs> well, you've got, the two, you've got the two ways of doing nostalgia, haven't you? You've got the reboot, where you take yeah. the original idea and redo it. And you've got the where you essentially try to carry on from where you started, like um, uh, Bill and Ted, where you've you haven't changed anything. You've got people away. Well, just carry on the story. Yeah, I, there is that. I mean, I, uh, I don't know which they did for um, Captain Scarlet because I know they did that in the CG version in the last yeah, that was a weird 10, 20 one. years. I don't know if that was a continuation or a reboot. It was a reboot. Reboot. It was a reboot. I I I've got. Two quick observations. So, number one, there is this idea that recently, you know, this nostalgia boom has happened recently. I would disagree. I think it's been going on for at least 20 years. So, mm. this is a well-established trend, okay? This, this is a well-established way of, of, of doing things. Secondly, this isn't any... If you look back even further, this is nothing new we're basically talking about the fact that people care about this stuff is because they're good stories they're good ideas they're good narratives and there is this huge tradition in um, music plays written language in oral tradition of the reimagining the reboot the continuation the extra stories i mean hercules is basically a fanfic of the gods that got out of hat <laughs> um and then he did this and then he did that what about that yeah of course he fucking did um <laughs> It's just that we've now got we've now got more fixed items like the books are still in publication, the recording still exists of the music, the TV. You know, whereas a play, some you know, there's like what a hundred, easily a hundred different versions of Macbeth every year. Uh, you know, thousands probably, and yeah. people don't go, oh god, not oh you can't do that. Someone else will do that. But now if someone does a film of Macbeth, and if anyone else does a film of Macbeth, that's somehow like terrible. Well, this, I mean, linking, the, 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 the retelling to... of these stories and the redoing of these stories and the continuation and the reboot and that, this is just a thing that people do. I think the idea that they're innately bad or terrible or whatever, doing it for well, ages, guys. Chill. Linking back to um, Ready Player One and Ready Player Two, the main character's name is Parzival. Which is basically a reference to the the Grail stories, and how many different ways of King has King Arthur been told oh. and retold over oh, the yeah. centuries? Or oh, Robin I mean, Hood? Yeah, 
I mean, yeah. the King Arthur legend, if you go back to the earliest, it's changed so much from the very first written mm. account of King Arthur, because the, the French got hold of it in like the 14th century and went, hey, let's add all this in. Mm-hmm. We'll make it like a soap yeah, opera. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Victorian uh, romance. <laughs> but I mean, other ones, like the one that I think sort of kind of came under the radar, because I'm not sure if many people watched the original, was Carmen San Diego. Carmen Sandiego is a very good Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Started off as also a game show as well, Mm. where kids had to, it was like on PBS, kids had to Mm. figure out with actual clues like geography and stuff like that where Carmen Sandiego had gone. It was an Um, Yeah, then it moved into its animated version of just, again, it's like the nice thing about, I think the thing I like about the new one with Gina Rodriguez is the fact is they've They've kind of turned the formula on her head on the head because for most of the previous ones, Carmen San Diego was flat out the villain. It was basically mm-hmm. Carmen San Diego is the head of the evil vile organization. She's stealing things. Now they're kind of saying, well, no, she was strange as a thief, but she's she's kind of like the anti-hero thief. And I kind of like I kind mm-hmm. of like the I like the change of tact. Yeah. Yeah, I do as well. And I also like the fact that they've made her younger and like again, more accessible to a wider audience because, you know, little girls and little boys and, you know, kids anywhere on the spectrum of gender can watch it and go, hey, she's badass. That's the thing. It's a core idea that's pretty good and that they're giving it another go. I mean, I think a great example of a positive remake, and I appreciate I'm a bit biased on this one, is the upcoming Dune movie whenever that gets released. Um, I know that there was a movie of it in 1984. I know that there was a TV version of it in 2000. But frankly, neither of them told the story of Dune. They were all very heavily edited and very heavily modified. They I know were interpretations. Had... Mm-hmm. They were interpretations rather than... Well, it was like, I mean, the movie definitely, um, it had things like, it, it had massive changes in the in what happened at the end. It had massive changes in the weirding modules. It was like, oh, we've got these sound weapons, woohoo. Skipped out huge chunks of the book. Um, the Dune remake, the TV version, massively changed characters, made certain characters way more important than other characters, and took massive liberties with stuff. Now, I do know that there have been changes um, in this book, in, in this movie, but they are smaller. They are significantly smaller. And the actual story, the core story is going to be told finally. So to me, that is a good positive reason to do a remake. Or Lord of the Rings, which was done as that... Um, a really bad animation ro- animation rotoscope yeah which got mm. half done you know there, there are a there, there was a comment knocking around on um the tube in on the tubes a short while ago saying you know stop remaking good movies take bad movies and remake them <laughs> i'm like yeah I, I don't i don't see this problem of 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 giving things that didn't work out great another shot if someone can can do it well and then i think i think a lot of the problem with that is uh, you've got big organizations that pay for this stuff. They're mm-hmm. all risk averse. So they go for established IP because they know there's a ready-made market and they know the story can be told. And yeah. that's why you get the same things remade over and over again because they know they'll be profitable. Well, but also they're the, not the, people... the only people making stuff. 
Yeah, but also the people that are making these are people who grew up watching, say, the original Shira or the original Carmen, or they watched the original Dune and they're like, hey, technology has advanced now that we could actually tell this story right. So I don't think nostalgia goggles are a bad thing. I just wonder, does it sometimes maybe put paid to the new stuff being made? I mean, new stuff is still being made, but... Uh... No, I I I, dis I disagree with this. I, I I disagree with the theory that it's stopping stopping new stuff being made. I think it. I think it's shifting where new stuff is released. I think the big headline stuff and the easy money, the quote unquote easy money, is in the reboots and the established stuff, but it's. It, there's still new and interesting and exciting stuff being made. But then again, it's like the the big reveal from NYCC was The Watch, and that's a 40-year-old, that's a 30-year-old book. That's new, but it's also old. It just takes a certain time for things to reach the point where they can be big enough to be made into these big things. Um, and yeah, people are going to go for the easier thing, but then that's what the market wants. There's so much content out there. There's so much stuff being made. If the market wanted new and exciting, it would see it. It would go for it. It would be absolutely slurping it up, and it's not. Would you uh, say, in in that regard, is it audience? Is it? It's like if they if they're not going for new things and they're sticking to their guns, they're just. It, it seems it's more of an audience, more of an audience demand that they want things to kind of remain the yeah. same in a way. Um, so it's so it's kind of like it's like how the norm now is superhero films are are always going to be big now, because or big to some degree because if it's a Marvel or if it's a DC now there is a there it, it's part of the current audience climate, I think is, is probably more correct. But you know, you know every three every six or four months there's going to be a new part of um, this series coming out. It's going to be to a recognizable quality. You're not taking a risk. You're going and watching the next yeah. episode. You're putting down your tenner or your 15 quid or whatever, and you're having a fun night out. I, I, I dislike this idea that somehow the audience is dumb because it knows what it wants to watch. Um, and I also think it's very trendy to hate on this stuff when all, all they're doing is returning to what made cinema big in the 30s. Oh, does that mean the movie musical's actually going to start being good again? <laughs> well, there was supposed to be a new West Side Story this year. That's Judging by cats, year. no. Uh, I mean, cats. it's like I'm I'm very very familiar with the West Side Story original. I mean, oh, me too. Big... So it's kind of like I'm kind of going. I like the I like the people possibly involved. I'm just don't cat don't cats it up. Yeah. There's a comment from Pink, from Pink Apple Jam. I'd like to see publishers and brands supporting new indie works. Yeah, I'd like to see them doing that as well. But what they'll do is they'll wait until they get big and then they'll pick them up. I mean, things like um, West Side Story, isn't that just a remake, nostalgia remake of uh, Romeo and Juliet? Yep. Yeah, mm. and this Romeo and Juliet was a remake of a whole bunch of other works. Mm. Shakespeare mm. wasn't massively original with his plots. 
No, he did what the public only, wanted. There is only six stories ever told. So there's, there's seven stories. There's, there's the seven narratives theory, which is somewhat reductive. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could, you could argue that um, most sci-fi, most modern sci-fi, is all spun off of um, Forbidden Planet, and Forbidden Planet was the Tempest, and the Tempest um, came from wherever the Tempest came from. Shakespeare. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's spun off Forbidden Planet. I would go more with that a lot of sci-fi is um, just old stories with different clogs on. As Pink Humble Jump points out, uh, the films we love now were once superhero serials, radio shows, and they're all based off Roman and Greek myths with contemporary scenarios. Oh, yeah. if, you, if you follow those stories back, you go, you add to the comic books of the, the 20s and 30s, and then you go on to the radio serials and things like uh, the the Phantom and the, the Shadow, and then you go into the, the adventures like King Solomon's Mines and um, the, the, uh, the, the, all those early adventures written for in the, the Victorian period and then you're probably you're always then you're going back beyond the uh, the mass adoption of books because people weren't reading as much. Yeah the, the thing I would say with it is the thing I would, would would say on this front is that even with something like the seven plot theory, which is quite interesting, but that's looking at the plot, that's looking at the very analytical bare bones of it. Mm. Um it's not looking at the fact that each time these things are told, the actual story can be radically different each time. What's being said, the ideas trying to be communicated, the symbolism and, and the structures and the actual communication rather than the analytic breakdown of it is different each time. And that's the thing that's interesting. That that I love. Se I love seven the the seven plot theory because it makes you go. I'm not going to bother being original because I can't be original. I'm just going to do it my own way. If you get what I mean. Mm. Oh yeah. Stop being scared of it. And it also does allow for more inclusivity now because obviously now we are of a generation and the younger generation are all aware of you know people of colour exist and yeah. they deserve to be in movies as much as, you know, the white people. I realise that we are an incredibly white <laughs> subsection of the population. But, you know, also women get to be more sort of front and centre. They're not just like the damsel in distress or that was pretty much it, the damsel in distress for a while. Um, but also different sexualities get to be seen, different cultures, different ways of living. And it becomes less of this this is the only way that can be done because this is the only way that anyone knows. And it becomes more, hey, there's other stuff out in the world yeah. that we can enjoy. I mean, again, West Side Story is just Romeo and Juliet. Now, if someone was to go and reskin it, which is basically about two people from opposing factions falling in love, <laughs> and very importantly, dying at the end from suicide because they're teenagers and they're stupid. I mean, can um, I spoil West Side Story? It has been out for a long time. Well, but I what I was going to say, you can very easily take that entire same setup and then make it an interracial relationship, well, or a, a yeah. yeah, and I mean, that—that's what—that's West Side Story. That's um, Romeo and Juliet, but it's also something seriously different. Also, it's, West Side Story: Juliet doesn't die; she lives. She yes. No, Maria um, survives. 
only only two. one thing I was going to say: there's wonderful site TV tropes, which pulls apart all the different tropes. I've mentioned mm. it before. I'll mention it again. Fantastic site. All it's fantastic, but it's also really destructive because people have now reduced all these different movies, to, all, all these different things to tropes, and they've somehow mm. come up with this idea that if you can find any connection between two works. You've got to make it a. You've got to make it a definite trope thing, which drives you mental because it's the same thing as with like the profusion of um, suffix punk genres, you know, where someone sneezes and they've invented snot punk or something. Um, it's, it's it's reduction ad absurdium. It's reducing it beyond its core parts into this, this competition to see how much can I reduce it down and completely miss the point. I mean, because of course the. The, the the seven stories is a nice sort of an academic way of looking at the problem. But if you look at something like, let's move over to architecture instead. Buildings are all shades of a box that you put things and people in, but that doesn't give you all the beautiful architecture and buildings we get today. So you can start with, you know, half a dozen things it's then where you go with them that gives yeah. you the beauty. You yeah. don't have to, well, you can reduce everything down to one or two examples of core. That doesn't give you everything. I mean, you can, what is it there? Everything in the universe is made of quarks and there's about six yeah. of those. You can refer, you can reduce everything down to six items. That doesn't, it, yeah. It, very quickly crossing a line that we said we weren't going to, this is, this is why I am not interested in the current crop of Disney remakes is is because they aren't doing anything new they're not no you're right and that's i'm not saying that's for that's that, that that's not to say they're bad people have gone and seen them etc etc but it's, it's why i'm i'm personally not interested is they haven't done anything but that's just a shit cover band you know yeah. that's, the way, that's the way i look at it you know, if someone, if you hear some covers that sound absolutely like the original, well, what's the point? I think the nostalgia argument is not, it's not really an argument. The debate is, I mean, that's just another way of saying argument. I'm aware of that, but I'm trying to turn, I'm trying to coach it in terms that aren't quite so um, inflammatory. Nostalgia is always a good thing to me because, you know, I look back with fondness on the things I enjoyed as a child and that makes me like the modern interpretations of them. It doesn't mean that it doesn't detract anything from the originals that I saw. You know, none of this, even like the Ghostbusters uh, answer the call, it doesn't detract from the originals. It doesn't add anything, but it doesn't detract anything either. So why the hell hate on it? It's really not point. It's kind of pointless in, what was the um, the line from the song Wear Sunscreen? Uh, advice is a form of nostalgia that involves taking the past out of the rubbish, wiping it off, and recycling it for more than it's worth. Oh, 80s music. The 95% of music in the 80s was shit. But we remember the 100 songs that were good. 90% uh, of everything is shit. Yeah, so exactly. It's when people fetishize an era. And that's that. that's... There's nothing like wrong with having. There's, there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having a fondness for this past. There's nothing wrong with recognizing where you're coming from. There's nothing wrong with necessarily doing a pastiche or stuff. It's when people get 
ruthlessly tribal and angry about it. I'm just like, chill the hell out. Case in point, the whole Ghostbusters debacle. I think, yeah. I think Andrew's about to have an going start going to go on. I don't know a rant tangent. No. no, but I think nostalgia, love it, hate it. It's here to stay. It's never going to go away. And it's not as good as it used to be. So yeah, I think we shall draw a line under nostalgia and we shall end, well not end, we shall move on to the last little tidbit that I wanted to share with the world. It's again another of the uh, what is happening stories and uh, it is about a woman who knitted a life-sized Thanos. Shall I play the clip for you? Please do. About four months ago, my boyfriend set me the challenge of knitting a life-size Thanos, who is eight foot three. I've had help from my brother, from my parents, and of course, my boyfriend's amazing acting skills. And piece by piece, it's gradually come together, and it's finally finished. So to do the final reveal, I had to take him outside, because there's no way he will stand up in my flat. And here's the final reveal, guys. I know it's not perfect, but I'm really happy with it, to be honest, considering this was just wool a few months ago. Um... I do really want to make another life-size knit, so let me know what you think I should do, and thank you so much for your support. Hey. I mean, as a crafter, I look at that and go, I'm going to channel Wayne's World for a moment. We're not worthy. We're That's... not worthy. <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, cool. she's a 25-year-old TikTok star, which is not a sentence I will ever get used to saying. Her name is Jenna, or Wooly McWoolface. Because why wouldn't you have that as your TikTok name? Uh, yeah, she's got nearly 2 million likes on TikToks from doing this Thanos thing. And it's he's 8 foot 3 inches tall. And he took f about 4 months to complete. And she is currently taking on ideas for her next life-size knit. So if you're on TikTok, head on over and <laughs> give her an idea. And God knows what she's going to do next but i'm really excited i'm almost tempted to download tiktok for the express purpose of finding out what she does next that's pretty cool i mean it's it's huge I yeah mean... ian have you got the image that i the still oh, yes, yes. that i so you can see what it looks like standing up in her flat Crikey. That's going to do his neck in. Thanos <laughs> cannot sorry. stand upright. Uh, you can Thanos also see she's also knitting some wake up with a prick the size of a planet. <laughs> but yeah, I I just thought it was like such a fun, lovely story. Like there's like how could you hate on the life-size knitted Thanos? It, 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 everyone has found unexpected things to do during lockdown and stuff like that. So it's how could it's, you, it's, how it's, could it's you a hate nice he tried to kill 50% of the knitted life in the universe. Yeah, I'm all for that guy. I um, mean, there are some very ugly knitted things in the world. No, but he would have killed the clangers. Or at least fifty yeah. percent of the clangers. Oh, the suit driver would have looked after them. Um, Again, I'm all for that guy. Um, <laughs> you know what she could possibly do? She could possibly do a cat bus. <gasps> Life-size knitted cat bus. One where Ooh. adults can go on. Oh, I may have to download TikTok now. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure there's enough people in the world. I don't know. I've got a fairly good stash. I'll lend her some of mine. <laughs> but I mean. Like nerdy crafting is, I'm here for that. Like I've seen lots of Among Us knits where people like you can pull the little top off and you've got the little half 
person. I think she had some in that picture as if, uh, that you can see. <laughs> the cat is... I want to have an opinion, says the cat. Let me have an opinion. I want food. Meow. Yep. You won't come on TV. You won't come on screen. Apologies for Coulson. He wants to be a star. He wants his food. That's what he wants. He has opinions. And most of them revolve around food. But yeah, I just thought this was a, just a really sweet, lovely thing that someone has spent lockdown doing. And it wasn't sourdough bread. Yeah, that, mm. that, that's always useful. I, I think it's cool. I got nothing against. No, I, I just mean, it's, it's just a nice thing to see in the world. I'm always massively impressed when you see people who have done full size cosplays, uh, full size space marine armor, things like that. And this is, I mean, it's even more impressive just because of the it's crochet. It's no, it's no, 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 it's knitting. Oh, knitting, not even crochet, it's knitting. I mean, he's knitted, not crocheted. <laughs> I'll assume that's the difference. Maybe oh. she should make um, life size wearable Iron Man armor out of knitting. Mm. Keeps you toasty in the winter, and you can also fight crime with it in some degree. Absolutely. Yeah. No uh, <laughs> yes. In answer to Hans's question, there is very much a difference between knitting and crochet, and trust me, I don't, don't know. No, uh, it's fine. As as a knitter and a crocheter, it's like, do you knit? Yes. Oh, is it the one with the one hook? No, that's crochet. Take your word for it. I thought crochet was the one with the hoops and the mallets. That's croquet, that's darling. Croquet. Oh, that's where I'm going wrong. That that was quite. I think you shrunk my aura with that joke. Yeah, he's got he's got worse. <laughs> it gets worse. Well I'll just turn up to a croquet map of just all the wool. <laughs> oh, yeah, just going, I'm ready for this game. You have to try and knock the wool through the hoops with the hook. So yeah, then... so yeah, so I mean, to be fair, in Alice in Wonderland, they played it with flamingos and hedgehogs. So that's animal wool. cruelty. I won't stand for it. So yeah, I'll so that's down for it. I just wanted to share the life-size knitted Thanos. And now we've sort of reached the end. Um, we can have a chat. If, uh, if chat's still around. Have we still got anyone in chat? Anyone, anyone in chat got, got any watching? Is anyone in chat got any opinions, thoughts that they'd like us to discuss? Or have any of the guests got anything they want to bring up? We can hark back to other things. <laughs> no, I've, I, think, uh, I think we've covered quite a nice sort of yeah, uh, reach of topics. We had a good discussion today. I've enjoyed this one. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not regretting letting me be in charge? I demand that we have a big stomp live from Diggerland. <laughs> when COVID is uh, under control? We all, we be all fair, have our own diggers. We all have our own diggers. Digger with a GoPro strapped in box. them. It's an enclosed box. I'm pretty yep. sure Diggerland is not open at the moment i would hope it's not open in the moment <laughs> well we can set up our own digger land we just have to I hire our own diggers. diggers diggers are probably designed to be hosed down internally so there's no reason you can spray them with bleach and then climb in <laughs> but yeah so okay big stomp from digger land maybe next year why not that sounds good yeah. uh, <sighs> well uh, yes thank you all for coming thank you raggedy man uh, I oh, noticed your gimp, your gimp has left finally in the background. Uh, thank you, Mark. Oh. You 
Yes, he's run off again. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Mark, for being browbeaten into this. It's really My great. When, <laughs> it's really great when they live in the same house as you. They can't get away. And, no, station, and station controller Ian, thank you also for joining in. Uh, thank you, chat. It's been lovely for you all mm. to be involved. And you know, please follow us all here on Buckets of the Twitch so you can be told about what wonderful things go on in Bunkerzilla land. Andrew, a, do, you want to, do you want to have a plug? Yeah, um, as always, we have the Trash or Treasure parties on Thursdays. Uh, they're from 8pm, and we have a new series starting uh, on Tuesday. It is Paul and Andrew watch all of Friday the 13th when uh, myself and my uh, chum Paul will be going through all of Friday the 13th, of which there's quite a lot of those movies, and we're going to be watching them. Uh, yeah, you need to supply your own copy of Friday the 13th, uh, 1 through 12 currently. Um, and we're going to watch one a week. On Tuesdays, from 8. <sighs> Mark, do you have anything you want to plug? <laughs> uh, no, except you should watch the Redheads Ramblings uh, stream on Bunkerzilla where she plays through all of the Dragon Age games on Sunday evenings. Please. I've got, my, I've got my own hype man. It's great. And Ian, do you want to plug anything? Oh, I've got several things to plug at the moment. Um, so, yes, Film Raw is coming back very, very shortly. We are actually going to be moving it over to small bite-sized reviews on YouTube. So we do have a YouTube channel. Bungs of the UK, again, is the place. Hit that subscribe button, turn on your notifications, and when you get nice, fresh film reviews, you'll be able to get them straight to your phone even when you if you've missed the big stomp and you want to find out when the repeats are finally available online that's also the place to go um monday i did a bit of murder mystery solving with cluedo uh, i watched a couple of episodes on monday i'm going to do it again next monday at eight o'clock so if you want to come and see me try to solve murder mysteries and fail spectacularly um with 90s television it's the best place to go uh, <laughs> very uh, niche no, market there <laughs> I've re I've I've really I've really enjoyed rewatching some of the old Cluedo '90s ones. It's like it, it's like in terms of nostalgia, it's like they change the cast every series, and they kind of take something that worked, and then they completely drive something into the ground. So when it got to season season four, and your murder weapons include a flamethrower, a g-string, <laughs> you know something's gone wrong. <laughs> oh my. God, that's yeah, it's amazing. like no, just because in season four it starts off with Richard Madley just walking, or Richard and G just walking around Arlington Grange and saying, "Perhaps one of these weapons was the was the offending item this week." Look at this very nasty-looking flamethrower here. It's quite heavy. It burns. You're going to know if the flamethrower was the murder weapon. has been burned to a crisp. It's like there's an awful lot of smoke around, Professor Plum. <laughs> G-string <laughs> flamethrower. Uh, but no, um, we, we watched a couple of episodes of season three that had people like Tom Baker as Professor Plum um, and Christopher Big and Christopher Biggins as Reverend Green. Um, now you're we saying this, I'm actually remembering the series. It's, it's, wow, what a blast from the past. Yeah. I mean, it's like series, series four had like um, Jerry Hall as, um, as Miss Scarlet, Joanna Lumley as Miss Peacock, uh, Nicholas Parsons as Reverend Green. <laughs> 
and it's time for sale of the century no make wrong show are you <laughs> sure you saw this and it wasn't like some really fucked up flashback no no it is no, it, it, is, it, is, all, it is all available okay, on okay. <laughs> i'm, I'm no. gonna believe um, you and yeah. And um, yes, just quickly, there will be some more Let's Plays going on in the next couple of weeks. Um, Fall Guys Season 2 has started. I want to get a Sonic costume and I want to moderately go somewhat fast across the Fall Guys arena and fail spectacularly so you can come and laugh and enjoy all that. And uh, yes, don't forget, end of the month is Quizmash. Uh, Lizzie has to defend her championship once again. It is horror based. So, so dress up is encouraged. And. and Yes, I've already started compiling some of the questions. You'll be pleased to know Word Jumble will not return yes. for this one. But that doesn't mean I haven't come up with new rounds. Oh, uh, is the picture new rounds coming back? Yeah, Trips of Pictures is back. Yeah, enjoyed that one. Everyone loves that one. But yes, that's that's what's going on in Bungzilla. In a nutshell, as always, go to bungzilla.co.uk for new articles like Ferocious 5, which is every week, Trash or Treasure, Weekend Fuel, uh, lots of stuff going on there. And of course, we have our podcast, which is also available on all good podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, and now Amazon Podcasts. And that's it for me. <laughs> uh, I think my camera has died again, so I'm going to just wrap it let's up. All free let's, let's all freeze frame like in the 80s, like yes. the end of the Breakfast Club. So everybody freeze frame and bye-bye Twitch. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.